Yourself. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date is June fifth, two thousand twenty-two. Uh, this is episode number one seventy-seven. I'm Robert Ring. With me is Jay Tataru. Hello. I have been pulled in from backstage without any sort of warning, and yeah. How's it been? How you been? You know, alive. Uh, doing pretty good. What about you? Doing pretty good. Uh, I accidentally bought four games on GOG today. Um, I was trying to just buy one. I was trying to just buy one, and I was trying to buy Blood, which is an old first-person shooter for DOS, kind of like a you know, sort of like a Doom clone type game. Yeah. And I bought it without really paying much attention to the to like the final price and everything like that. Like once I put it in my cart, I was like, click, 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 buy, buy, buy. And then I noticed I had four new games in my library, and it was because I <laughs> I had three games in my cart already from like a month ago when they had a sale, and I was thinking about buying these other three games, but I never did. I just decided not to, and then I never removed them, so I bought them now on accident. Did you buy them not on sale, I'm assuming? Exactly. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Definitely not on sale. So I ended up buying Blood. What were the other ones? Um, Hold on. Let me see. Orders History. Empire Earth. Did you ever play that? I feel like I know the name. I don't think I've ever played it though. It is an RTS. <laughs> kind of kind of like Age of Empires in a way where it goes like over a very long span of time, you know, but it's yeah. more my understanding is it's a little instead of like ancient to less ancient, it's more like modern day to future. And then so I bought that one uh, and I bought Master of Magic which is another RTS that's supposed to be really good. And Emperor of the Fading Suns, which is an old um, turn-based strategy game. I think it's kind of like a 4X in uh, space. Or not necessarily in space, but in a sci-fi setting. It might be in space. What does 4X mean again? Um, Expand, extract... No, expand, exploit, exterminate, and extract maybe? It's ba- it's a Civ game, is what it means. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so Emperor of the Fading Suns, when you're like the map that you're on is on you're on like other planets, so it's a sci-fi setting, but not in space. Gotcha. It's supposed to be good, but hard. Anyway, so I have uh, I have all of those now, and I just I I, you, I could have refunded them, I guess, but um, I was just like, you know, I'll probably play these eventually. I'm, I'll just. I imagine probably a couple bucks even off sale, right? Since they're a little bit older. Uh, that's a good question. I never went back to see how oh much they were. Oh my gosh, Jesus, Robert! Are you making <laughs> that much money from the podcast now? <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they are. They are probably they probably range from five to ten dollars. Okay, yeah, like Master of Magic is six dollars. Okay, okay. So none none of them were very much at all. Uh, but that's what my, that's how my day's been going. I guess I can't complain. It's been going. It's been a solid day. I bought four games on accident. I'm going to keep them all. And it'll be two years before you play any of them. So, <laughs> I did start playing Blood today. Um, I might, I might go ahead and install another one and, and just just kick around with it for the hell of it. Family's out of town for a few days, and I I do have things going on, but I do also have extra time to play stuff. So I might I might go ahead and jump into Master of Magic. We'll say. Cool. Yeah, I'm trying not to buy as many games right now, just to try because I have I have a decent library that I'm building up right now that I've wanted to play for a while. So I'm trying to get through. And not buy as many games or not, even if they are on sale. 
Cool. Have you bought? We'll have you been? So you haven't bought any like newer games either. Uh, I have bought a couple newer games in the recent last like recent couple months that I haven't spent enough time on. Divinity is one of them, but um, it's you know, there's just a couple of games I just purchased and I was like, ah, I'll try them eventually, and then eventually never happened. So I'm trying to buckle down and actually play through them a little bit more before I buy anything else. Gotcha. Okay. No, it's too easy to just buy games. <laughs> I know, right? It really it's, is. You're it's, like, oh, I know, I like this. It's the problem we want we wanted all throughout childhood. I know, which is so funny because I enjoy, which is so crazy because I honestly enjoyed the games that I had when I was a kid more than today. Because <laughs> it's just like you have that yep. one game and you're just like, yes, like this is all I want to do. As an adult, you have access to thousands of games and you just, it's the struggle is real. Like you're just like, <laughs> I could play this game or I could buy six other games and try them all for five minutes and then sit on my phone for 30 minutes. Like that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> and the best thing was they, the games didn't even have to be that good. You know, like you could play, you would play a mediocre game for hours when you were little because yep. that was what you had. Yep. And it, I missed it. I missed it so much. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine going back and telling your, nine-year-old self hey in 15 years anytime you want a game you just get on your computer and buy it and it downloads in five seconds it is so crazy i, I think we're about we're going to talk about this a little bit i think because I, I think this is a very interesting topic too because i feel like this probably affects a lot of people who listen to our podcast but it, it is very interesting to think about that and then also the thing that really like i struggle with a lot is i feel like the internet has made has really um made gaming completely different than when we were children. I know it's like, oh, yeah. duh, like an obvious statement, yeah. but what I mean by that is like, when I think about not only accessibility, but the um, understanding of the different games, right? So when I think of like, uh, what's like Secret of Evermore is a great example. Secret of Evermore for me as a child was such a struggle. I could not figure out where to go half the time. Like I couldn't figure out how to do all the combinations of, of the different spells and stuff. And today it's like, anytime you have an issue with a game where you can't figure something out, you just instantly Google it, watch a YouTube video where some guy talks your way through it. You watch a couple ads and you, and you get it. And it's like, I almost feel like that is damaging to the experience in a way. It can, it can be, uh, you know, I think it just depends on your play style and what you, what you want out of stuff. I mean, if you have self-control, you can just not do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. What was that? What is that word again? I've never heard that before in my life. As somebody who bought four games this morning, I, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> And the funny thing is there'll probably be a Steam sale too within the next month and I'm sure I'll dig in on that as well. Uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. I don't get as sucked into sales nowadays as good. I did a couple yeah, years ago. I actually have noticed that because before it was like every Humble Bundle, every Steam sale, you were always jumping on and telling me about it and GOG sales and stuff. And I haven't heard much. Usually you'll, you'll talk about it, but just not as extensively. Yeah. It, it is really interesting. I mean, the, the internet, it, it's crazy to think about the positive and negative effects it really has on gaming. I think about gaming communities too, right? Like we think about older MMOs were amazing. Like they were so community driven and exciting. And today it's like the communities that are a part of most MMOs, obviously there are exceptions to it, are generally considered to be really toxic and tryhardy and just, I don't know. It, it, it is a very interesting problem. And I, I'm wondering at this point if, if any MMO or any sort of like online game like that will fix it. Or if it's just something we're going to have to get adjusted to with the current environment. I feel like I was about to say something about Final Fantasy. Um, Their for... community is not like that, and I've heard that from everybody. Yeah, I know. No, that 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 is true. That's not what I was going to say, though. But yeah, they they they've done a great job of, of how cultivating culti how? exactly cultivating a good. I don't know because I've never really played WoW, so I don't really have much to compare it to you know. 
Um, it's not even just WoW. It's every other MMO that I've played. Like that. That is the. And not to say like I had po- amazing experiences playing Final Fantasy. It was. I didn't really notice it. I've heard that feedback from a lot of people though, and I'm just. I'm very curious what they did that encourages that type of interaction. I, I really am curious. Is it just the money grubbing mentality that a lot of big developers have today that is encouraging this sort of play style? Is it the addictive aspects that they're encouraging? Is it microtransactions? Like, what is it that Final Fantasy has done differently that has, sorry to keep using this word, but cultivated a completely different uh, community? Yeah, so I don't, I don't know the full answer. Some small things that they do are they have what you like very experienced players can uh take on this role like a mentor role and it's like a like you're tagged as this mentor type of person and then you can when there are new players they can you can kind of like help them out and then you get i don't know you get something for doing it and there's things like that and there's like every time you clear a dungeon or a raid or whatever there's a commendation system where you can kind of yeah, like yeah recognition system yeah, yeah. a lot of them most the okay. first one though is very interesting to me because see see that makes me think that they have really taken a different approach because that right there so think about what you said the mentor system right so financially how does that positively impact the developer it, you really can't quantify that. You can't say if we implement this system uh, that it's going to warrant or it's going to encourage you know this this percentage of increase of players. So that either means that they don't care about the the risk, if you will, of the uh, ROI on it, or the fact that they just believe that it's going to create a better environment and longevity for the game. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I, I've been watching a lot of stuff about Ashes recently, and I just I'm very excited for the game, but I'm also really wondering if the the toxicity that exists within MMOs is just going to transfer over there and make it just a cesspool. I I, I like to think it won't because of the fact that the uh, funding for the game is all um, funded by the actual owner, the CEO of the game. So I'm very curious to see what they will do. And I hope that they are studying what Final Fantasy is doing to take some of that away because I I don't like the idea of like the super toxic community. I'm generally very, surprisingly, I know I, I don't necessarily express it all the time, <laughs> but I'm a very helpful person in MMOs and I try to be very positive and friendly to people. and. It is not a common experience when you play a lot of MMOs to, to run into other people like that. Yeah, that's what I hear. And there's probably more to it. Like I said, those are just kind of small things. And, I, and in my head, it doesn't make sense that those few little things would make such a big difference. So there's got to be something else too about it. I just can't kind of figure out what that is. Yeah, I, I think it's it, one of the, the things too is, is, is when we talk about community, like I, I truly believe that if a game wants longevity and wants to create a good environment, you really have to do community-driven as, or community-driven activities, I guess, if you will. Yeah. And that, that for me, I think a lot of games, they, like, well, I've said this a lot about other MMOs is they are realistically a single-player game in an MMO universe. Yeah. That is, that is what the current iteration of WoW is. That's what a lot of the MMOs, I, the newer ones that I've tried to play in the last five years have been like. You're basically just playing a single-player game with other people around you doing the same thing. And mm-hmm. there's no required interaction and i think that required interaction almost socializes people a little bit because um if you don't behave people won't want to play with you which means you can't proceed right you can't you can't um make progress so it's uh, that's kind of interesting i don't know well it's very interesting final fantasy 14 i would say still fits that concept of it kind of really is a first person uh, a one-player game Really? With other people just, yeah, with other people just running around doing the same thing. I mean, obviously, when you do dungeons and stuff like that, you have to, you know, you, it'll match you up, you know, with a party and you got to do that with other people. Sure. But that's an exception, right? Yeah, that's 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 an exception. The rest of it really is 
hey you're the hero go you're here's your you know do all the main story quests and all that kind of stuff and you could really play it pretty pretty solo-ish i wonder what it is i really wonder what it is maybe it's just a more casual approach i i, I really it could be because because you know like gear is really not a big deal um there are you know gear requirements for you know dungeons and things like that as you get higher and but but 99% of what you'll ever need you're going to end up with anyway like just by playing through the game so there so there isn't this idea of like ah uh, if this if this guy fucks up in my party, then I'm not going to get this gear that I need. It's, everything's yeah. just kind of like, oh, you know, if he messes up, that's fine. Just we'll, we'll try it again. And, you know, it's, it doesn't really affect much. If somebody if somebody does something to screw up a boss run or something like that, then it doesn't really all. Kind of, the worst is that you gotta, might have to start over and try to fight him again. You're not losing out on anything gear wise or anything like that. It, 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 sound, it sounds to me like, wow for example, is more focused on trying to get awesome gear. Is that right? To some extent, I mean, it really depends. But I mean, yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people they look to get gear and they want to progress and they they want to be kind of sweaty. And, and for me, for a long time, I always thought some of the accessibility things that they added, the quality of life features, like I think of like uh, the dungeon queue system where it automatically teleports you to the dungeon, things like that I always thought, or like raid, what's called Raid Finder. That's like, yeah, are, are the big groups, like the 20 plus groups called raids in Final Fantasy? Yes. So, so Alliance raids. Usually they're called Alliance raids. Yeah. Okay. They So it, it's interesting because in, in WoW, in one of the iterations of WoW, they made it so that there's a system, you push a button, you join, you queue for a raid, you get pulled into a group of 20 people yep. and the, the level of difficulty is greatly reduced. And you're playing with random people and you just kind of, you literally walk your way through it. It's that you don't even have to know the mechanics. You can ha- more than half the people can be AFK and you can still clear it. And for me, that was always really frustrating. I, I thought that that um, level of accessibility was too much. And I think it actually damaged the, the integrity of it. And I've always thought that that was a critical component of it, but I know final fantasy also has that, right? You have a queue system for raids, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah so that make that man, that makes me think that my entire thought process around what is wrong with MMOs is not right. That's interesting. I don't know. You know, it could be because, again, it's a pretty different MMO from WoW. So just the fact that it has the same thing, it's it probably still ends up kind of working different from, you know, sort of an experience perspective. Sure. I don't I hope know. somebody does, does a study on this because I think it's I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I mean, Final Fantasy is is doing incredibly well. That that is what is the, the big question mark for me is because usually there are MMOs that come up. They do well. It's the quote unquote WoW killer. It's, you know, oh my gosh, it's so crazy. And then, you know, five years later, oh, they're struggling for subscriptions. They're going to free to play. They're doing microtransactions and loot boxes and blah, 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 blah. And then they ultimately die off. But it's, or not die off, but get to a point where they're so minimal that you don't even hear about it anymore. Final Fantasy is quite the opposite. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it just seems like it's only going to get bigger. And I just, I'm very curious what it is that is, like, there's just so many questions I have about the success of the game. That is kind of interesting because I, I don't ever remember anybody making the claim that oh final fantasy 14 is going to be a wow killer you do hear that a lot about games but but i don't think you ever really heard it about this one and i don't think it'll be a wow killer but it obviously it is i guess you know it's, it's got to be the biggest one next to wow right it, i think it's bigger actually if i'm not mistaken i think final oh, fantasy really? is the, 
I'm pretty sure it's either comparable or larger. And it, it, and I'll be honest with you, the Wow Killer. It, it's funny. Have you? I'm sure you've watched SpongeBob, but there there's a great scene in, in SpongeBob where Patrick and and SpongeBob are hunting for this guy who turns out to be them. And Patrick says the quote of, "It was me I was looking for all the time." The Wow Killer was inside the house. It was Blizzard. Blizzard killed himself. <laughs> yeah, it, it is so funny to me to think about that. But it, for all this time, we we're all wondering where is it? Where's the Wow Killer? And it's like they're right there. They're right in front of us this entire time. Yep. So, I, I think you. I think we can all agree with that one. Yeah, and we'll talk about that here some more in a few minutes. Oh, gosh. All right, well, let's talk about news then. Why don't you go ahead and talk about that? What's going on? Sure. So let's talk about two things. Uh, the first one is Sonic the Hedgehog Open World. You want to talk? You want to you get in on this? Okay, I've so, heard tangent. I've heard like little bits and pieces here and there. I don't have a full picture. So tell me what's... I want to hear what's going on with Sonic the Hedgehog. So uh, my roommate, Zach, uh, brought me up on a lot of this. He showed me some of the videos. So they're making an open-world Sonic the Hedgehog game, and it looks awful. It looks... um, What's the name of it? I'm going to pull it up while you're talking about it. I actually don't even know. This is like a new Sonic game. Uh, So the way that they're they're promoting it is this idea that it's an open-world Sonic game. and Sonic Frontiers. There you go. It, it's if you look at the graphics, it looks like they basically wanted to do like Breath of the Wild, but yep. plug in Sonic. The very and, first scene of this video is him standing on top of a giant mountain, looking over. Yep, and it, he looks so out of place. Of the, the, the art styles do not mesh. It looks very bizarre. So when you think about the idea of a Sonic the Hedgehog game, what is the predominant gameplay features? You're gonna gotta go fast. You're gonna be going through rings. You're gonna be going through you're loops. You're gonna rings. be collecting rings. Um, yeah, so you do that, but it's it's kind of like Zach actually described this very well, which is it's kind of like Breath of the Wild, but there's like random amusement parks. They just like drop these big objects that you can interact with, like the loops and these po- quote unquote puzzles where you basically have to. There's one where it's just like you have to match colors or like match platforms, and it's like a five year old could do it. It's like really simple stuff, <laughs> like um, put the square block in the square hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. Like there was one where you just have to touch all the platforms, and it's like a. <laughs> Four by four grid or something. Like it, it was just obnoxiously stupid. There was there, the combat system. Uh, from what I can gather, because you can't, we haven't really seen like somebody actually talking about playing through it. The combat system is basically you r- run into the mob a couple times, and then afterwards it becomes quote unquote vulnerable. You hit an input, and then Sonic does all the work. He like zips around it like fifty <laughs> times, and then it dies. And that's it. That that's the extent of it. Like and by a the way, time thing. Yeah, basically, you just like get to the point where you can do an input, you do it, and then the thing just dies. And that's it. And you just move on. That is the game. That's it. Um, so it makes literally zero sense so far. It looks really, really bad. Uh, and I just, I don't get it. If it wasn't a Sonic game, it would just look kind of, you know, this looks fine. Like, not bad, but not like nothing stands yeah. out about it. But the fact that it's... Another, I think another thing to go back to what you were saying earlier when you think about Sonic is you, I generally think about very colorful stages, right? Yeah, 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 true. And this is just all grass and rocks. Like almost realistic, almost like a semi-realistic approach. Yes, very, I'd say very realistic. Well, you know, besides like there are, there's like temples and kind of semi- kind of magical looking things. But yeah, besides that, it's, it's very Breath of the Wild. Like that's the best way of describing it, like you said. Yeah, it's it's it, what's even more to me is I I think the reason that this came to fruition is because I think Sonic the Hedgehog is very popular right now because of the two movies that came out. I know a lot of uh, parents that I work with, their children are obsessed with Sonic the Hedgehog and they really like those movies. So I'm wondering if they're just trying to capture that um, popularity right now and just make a game for 11 year olds to have like an open world environment. I don't know. I I, I really hope they're not going to try and justify set, uh, charging sixty dollars for this game. 
They probably will. Uh, but I mean, so far from what we've seen, it looks like absolute dog shit. I, I think they would, this has to be a $60 game. It's just based on how big it is. Like they wouldn't make a game like this and then charge 30 bucks for it. They shouldn't charge it. We should charge them for this game. Let's be <laughs> real here. Um, but yeah, it doesn't look, it really doesn't look like, I mean, I'm not a huge Sonic fan, so I'm not the right person yeah, to ask, but, um, it doesn't look very Sonic-ish to me. It's like, it's, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's Breath of the Wild with Sonic rings. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, and you still have the ring system, which I don't understand how you could have that in an open-world environment. Sonic loses the rings, you recapture them. If you don't, you die, I guess. I, I didn't see somebody die, but I saw somebody get hit and lose rings, and they lost all of their rings. So I assume that there's... Which, to me, it's like, how in the hell are you going to make that into an open-world game if your life bar is based off of collecting rings? What, what are you going to do? Lose a 1,000 rings in one hit and recapture 67? Like, what... <laughs> In what universe is that going to be engaging for the player? I bet it's got something where if you get a certain amount, then I don't know, you get a you get extra life. Like what? Well, I, I, you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't make yep. any sense to me. Yeah. So. Okay. So that's Sonic the Hedgehog Frontier, which is their open world game. If people know more about it than I do, please feel free to write in and tell us why it's a great game. I can't imagine anybody's going to know about this game or know why it's good, but. You know, I'm I'm here for it. If somebody can justify it, sure. The only uh, the only thing oh, that I the only other thing that I had heard about this is that I saw I think it was on a Reddit. I don't even think I read the thread, but the topic was Sonic fans are asking Sega to to please delay Sonic Frontiers <laughs> so they can like so they can make it better, but. But this doesn't look like something that a delay... It doesn't look buggy or something like that. This just looks like a bad concept from the start. So I don't think that's going to do any good. I agree. I, I, I think that... I, realistically, I think the inception of... I, I, think it, I realistically think they're going to package up a turd and charge $60 and take advantage of the hype that is... Apparently, that is Sonic. I'm not a Sonic person. I have never really understood Sonic beyond the Sega Genesis. I think that anything beyond that is just a big question mark for me. But I think they're just going to try and capture the fact that the two movies... I assume are doing well because of how much people are talking about it. At least children, I should say. Yeah, so. I, I I really hate to be that guy that just points out why this or that is bad and was a bad idea and is probably going to fail. Because I think a lot of people do that trying to make trying to convince themselves that they that they're smarter than the people who made the game. Um, but but that's I can't help but feel exactly that way when I'm watching this. Yeah, and I think it's good to criticize games. I mean, at the end of the day, like if, if you're creating something that the community, like think about the original design they had for Sonic and the, the community was like, what are you guys doing? And then they fixed it, right? That to me, that's the whole intent of these conversations is to criticize oh, it right. in the hopes that they're going to change and improve on the final product. Because at the end of the day, a lot of people are like, you know, when they criticize games, it's because they're passionate and they want to play those games, but they can't. So I think that is a, a reason that people criticize games and that is a very good reason to criticize games. I think there are also plenty of people who just want to make themselves feel smarter than the people who made them. That is fair. And, and this is probably one of those cases for me, to be honest with you, because I'm, again, I'm not a Sonic person. I'm not, no matter what they did this game, I would not be interested in it. So that, that is a definitely a fair assessment, but I do think there are people who are trying to help improve. And realistically from my, my perspective as well, I would like for them to improve on it. I would like for the overall quality of games to be more consistent because right now there is a big problem of coin flip where there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of early access games where they ask for your money up front and then you start playing it. And you're like, my God, this is dog shit. But you've already paid for it and now you're stuck with it. And the developers are like, what are we going to do? You, you think we're going to change it at this point? It's like, no, 
So everybody should just stop pirating games. I know we've talked about that. We talked about that years ago with all the uh, GoFundMe stuff. Or was it Go, what was it called? It wasn't called GoFundMe. Talking about Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. <clears throat> okay. What else you got? Uh, Diablo Immortal. So I'll try to keep this as concise as possible. But if if you haven't heard the news, Diablo Immortal came out. I think it's an alpha, uh, or at least early access. Actually, I think it's early access. I don't think it's. Oh, alpha it's at not. This point. Oh, it's not the full release. I don't think so. I think I don't think they've determined a release date yet. I think uh, I, th- I thought it was. I'm pretty sure it's just out. Oh, it, it is full out. Yeah, it's fully. Oh, that's even worse. I didn't. I thought it was like an early access thing. So okay. They released the game. Uh, the community feedback so far has been overwhelmingly negative. Uh, <laughs> it is a Diablo three reskin for mobile. Uh, the combat system is it, so people have said that the combat feels generally smooth. There are some major issues with it. There's a lot of people who are having issues with the client crashing. Um, it's just not fully accessible on all devices. So that is another big piece because it is a mobile game. So you would think that they would make sure that everything is accessible, right? Correct. So accessibility is an issue. Uh, gameplay is apparently relatively smooth when it is working. Uh, people have had issues where they get stuck on invisible walls, they can't progress through the game, uh, and different issues in that realm. Even more, um, the gameplay itself is pretty boring. Uh, there's only like four or five buttons you have access to. Obviously, it's a mobile game, so they can't give you the full repertoire of, of abilities, but the gameplay itself gets very repetitive. Obviously, a lot of the classes, from my perspective, that I've watched run together very, very quickly. It doesn't seem like there's any unique class identity. No surprise, it's a mobile game. So I'm not going to harp on that aspect of it. That's a design flaw, in my opinion. That's their decision. Obviously, we know that they're doing this because they want to um, get deeper into the Chinese market. Mobile games are massive in China. So they're trying to get more into that market because of the fact that this the, the U.S. market is not doing as well for them. So what is the biggest piece of criticism? No surprise, it's greed. Um, the game is completely and utterly built around microtransactions, and they are some of the most predatory, aggressive microtransactions you have ever seen. There are multiple European countries that have outlawed this game and made it illegal in their country because of how predatory the loot system is in this game. Uh, it is. It has been calculated that it is. It's around one hundred and ten thousand dollars to get fully min-maxed in gear. Because of the way the system works, <laughs> if you no. don't spend. Oh, I'm serious. I am absolutely dead serious. If you don't spend real life money on the game, you can only progress at a very slow rate month over month. But if you spend money on the game, you have there there are these gems. That, and again, I'm not an expert on this, but I have watched I've watched a lot of people play it and talk about it. There are these gems that you have to put into your gear that require them to be leveled up and they need to be a certain quality. And when you do the thing to get them, you have a frac you have a very low percentage. It's like 2.5% to get the thing that you need. Okay? So you have a 2.5% chance. If you don't spend money, you can only do this a handful of times per month. If you spend money, you can do it as many times as you want, obviously, right? So if you get really bad RNG, you could sit there and do that many, many times and not actually get the thing you need. And this costs money. It's not It's not cheap either. It's like several dollars per time to do this. Uh... And the worst part is if you fail it so many times, the game actually has a gimme system. After I think it's like 100 attempts or something. The game will just give you the thing that you need because you've spent so much money on trying <laughs> to acquire this gem. Okay. That's one part. I don't know if that the makes it better is, or wor- that makes it. Oh, it's it's awful. It's so predatory. It's, I mean, it's it really is. At, on one hand, it's like, okay, if you've done it enough, here you go. But at the other hand, it's like, well, now you know that you're eventually going to get it if you do it a hundred times. So then you 
you know, have the emphasis to keep going. So, oh gosh, that's kind of, yeah. Think, okay. think, think about if you were playing blackjack and they said, hey, if you lose 50 hands in a row, we'll give you a win, right? We're not going <laughs> to tell you when, but we're going to give you a win. Like, think how predatory that would be because people are like, oh, I'll just play forever because I'll eventually win, right? <laughs> so, sure. Um, yeah. even more, when you start playing the game, uh, you have access to the loot box system, which is, you know, the general, it's, it's not a, the, the original, the foundational part of it is not a true loot box system. There are certain things you can get that amplify your experience ratios and your gold collection rate, all that stuff, like the, the basically the foundation of the game that you can amplify the rates of it by spending money on the game. Okay. Sure. As you progress in the game, I kid you not, there is what people are calling a talent tree of uh, microtransactions. The further you get into the game, the more access you have to bigger and better microtransactions. I am not even kidding. And wow. it gets even worse. There is a, a system that you can pay for and, and you, you don't get anything. You get, you get a very small thing up front. You pay for it and it's like $9. And over 30 days, every time you log in, you get a different reward. Now, if you forget to log in though, you're fucked. Apparently it resets the timer and you basically have to then log in for 30 days straight again. At the end of the 30 days, you get what is considered to be worth it to spend the nine or $10 on it. Okay. Yeah. So that is, I'm not going to go super far into that. That is just kind of scratching the surface of it. It is unbelievably predatory. They, there are so many fucked up things they're doing with it and it's just getting progressively worse and worse. Even what makes it even more egregious is the fact that months ago one of their lead developers came out and said that they're not going to do any of this and now blizzard has chosen to do all of this and the <laughs> developer apparently did not know that they were going to do this they basically just oh, said, really? no fucking oh yeah it's it's also unfortunately it's the same guy who said the amazing phrase of you guys have phones don't you you remember that iconic he's still there yeah apparently still there okay. uh, i don't know if he's there today but he he made a comment months ago i think it was like four months ago about the development of it and saying that they're not going to do this really predatory thing of course they're doing it um and of course a lot of people are spending money on it people are calling to action saying don't play this game it's not great it's not worth it go play d2 go play d3 go play path of exile for christ's sake um and enjoy the actual game this game is not worth it do not support microtransactions at all like this is if you support it what is blizzard going to do they're going to go okay this is what we need to do people are going to buy it uh and yeah, that's kind of the, the TLDR of Blizzard just being a fucking scene as always. Uh, and they're probably going to reap a ton of money about it. And it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it does suck because on one hand, my mind tells me, well, I mean, the people who are playing this, if that's what they, if they want to spend, if they want to throw away money on this, then why not let them? But at the same time, uh, well, okay, that's how I used to feel sure. until I kind of learned more about people who have gambling addictions yeah. and it's how predatory. Yes, and it genuinely like when you t when you say it's predatory as you did that that's not an exaggeration. You, it literally is predatory. They know what they're people. doing. It's a science. Yeah, yeah. It, it frustrates the shit out of me, and that, that's exactly how I feel about it too. Because you know, obviously, there are a lot of people like you know, my freedoms. I want to be able to do whatever I want, and it's like, 
well, hold on a minute. What if it's what if it's something where people have addictive personalities? I have an addictive personality for for certain things. A lot of people do, and there are certain things that I stay away from. And these types of games, I, I there there's this term they use in the the mobile world called the, the whales, whale fishing, or something like that, or big big whales, or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. Whale. And it's basically people who spend obscene amount of money on mobile games, and they they specifically have got it down to a science where they develop these games to attract those types of people. I know I have friends that are. Uh, they're not whales. They are mini whales. They're they're freaking fish in the pond, if you will, because they've spent thousands of dollars on specific mobile games, like an individual game. They've spent thousands of dollars on it. But some of the from what I've read on Reddit is people have talked about people who are developers for micro or for uh, mobile games. They've said that there are people who have spent upwards of like three and four hundred thousand dollars on their mobile game, and they they know who these people are. And they will basically, go, when they find them, they go after them. They, they target them with ads. They'll give them, you know, discounts. They'll market to them. They know exactly what those people are looking for, and they're going to do it. I, I would not be surprised in the slightest that Blizzard did the exact same thing. And I think it's, it's really, it's awful. And, and there are a lot of states that are already getting, that are already starting to comment about it. Or there's governmental members that are starting to comment on this more and more. Will anything happen here? Probably not. I'm happy that there are certain countries that are outlying this game because I think that's exactly what should happen. Predatory loot systems, especially when it targets children, is just, it's yeah. awful. It, it is so crazy to me. I'm still appalled that Twitch allows the uh, gambling to be streamed on their site and to allow for sponsorships. I don't know if you know this, but there are gambling sites that will sponsor streamers to then gamble. They'll give them money to gamble and stream it to show them you know, playing and potentially winning money throughout it. And for me, I think that's so awful because that sets a really bad precedence for children. Yeah, I, I think it's the the children being involved that that really kind of pushes it past okay. Because even for adults, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's even yeah. worse with children. Yeah, I mean, we that's out, what kind of frustrates me. They outlawed Joe Campbell for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Is his name Joe Cam? No, it's Joe Cool. I called him Joe Cam. Joe Cool. Joe Cool. I mean, well, Frustrates the shit out of me. I hate it. It's it's so frustrating. I, I understand there's a lot of people that have talked about like gam you know, online gambling. We've gone back and forth over the last decade of making it legal and illegal and, and marketing or excuse me, online gambling, all that fun stuff. And it's gone back and forth. And I know that turning it off just creates a lot of issues where the illegal um activity starts to happen and that's even more aggressive and uh predatory. But this is gonna this is gonna be a, a uh, big discussion, I think, at some point. Obviously, I don't think Diablo Immortal is going to be the linchpin that starts the conversation, but there, I think there's a bigger conversation coming about that. You, yeah, you'd hope so. Yeah, it's true. But there's so many other co- topics we need to talk about, right? Right. So, yeah, Diablo Immortals, don't play it. Don't spend it. If you're playing it, play it for free. Uh, if you play it for free, you can't even play the game, so don't even bother, to be honest with you. From, from what people have said, if you play the game without putting money into it, you are going to be uh, not not only days but months behind other people. You stand no chance of of even being able to interact with other people. So sounds fun. Yeah, sounds like a game that I'm not going to touch whatsoever. So way to go, Microsoft! Great job. Well, this was to be fair to Microsoft, 99% done before Microsoft got them. Yep, yep. But they still let it go out the way it is. I'm very curious to see if they do anything. I mean. I, I still think they could have been like, hey, we're going to delay this a couple months. We're going to cheer this up. But I would be, I'll, I'll be surprised. I'm still hopeful that Microsoft's going to do positive things for the organization. Yes. Bobby Kotick is still there. By the way, his his uh, payout is expected to be even higher than originally quoted. 
So, uh, it, but there also are some lawsuits floating around that as well that are challenging it and saying that he should not be awarded for the awful behavior that he encouraged with the organization. So there's a small glimmer of hope that he will be stripped of his walkaway money, which is assumed to be in the, in the uh, almost several hundred millions at this point. Is it was what is overall expected payout? Well, I think it is several hundred million, right? Uh, it was originally quoted around like three hundred million, and yeah. then more recently, it's coming out to say it's closer to five hundred million because uh, because so it is the, several hundred million. Yeah, yeah. Originally, it was only a few hundred million, which I love. Oh, okay. We're just like splitting <laughs> dimes here, right? It's only two hundred million dollar difference. Okay. But, yeah. So. Okay. He's still there. Um. Okay. You have any other news? Because I got a couple things. Um, I'll try to go quickly through these. Well, most of them, there's not a whole lot to say there. Uh, so star Wars Knights of the old Republic two has been announced for switch. Um, it's not out yet, but it's been announced. Uh, but what's interesting about this is it's so I have not played KOTOR two, but my understanding is that it was a great game, but that it was basically unfinished. Um, really? Yeah. That is not what I've heard from people. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, this version is coming with what's called restored content DLC, which is basically like the rest of the game that didn't originally get released. So that's kind of sweet. If you're that is co- really cool. Are they going to charge for that? You said it's DLC. Uh, I think it, um, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think it comes baked just, in. I think it just, yeah, I think it just comes baked in. I hope so. That'd be cool. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, that's that's really exciting to hear. I I've, I know a lot of people that are huge fans of of this game, so uh, I know there's a lot of excitement going to be brewing around it. Okay, okay. I'm I'm reading. So take it for what it's worth. This is a comment on Reddit. It says when the game was updated, somebody says, uh, "This is anime gaming nerd." <laughs> says Perfect. when the knows. when the game <laughs> was updated to have Steamwork support. Aspire, uh, who's the I don't know if that's the, I guess that was the, de- the developer, uploaded it themselves as the first mod on Steam. But yes, now they are considering it to be official DLC for KOTOR 2. So this was, so this was, quote, DLC, but it was really just a mod, but it was put out by the developer to basically complete the game, you know, years years afterward. And uh, so that's coming with the Switch version. Oh. Uh, anyway, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, a remake of Resident Evil 4 has been announced for net, next March. Um, oh, did you see the VR? Is it VR or AR that they're doing for uh, Village? I think Village already has VR. See, Zach was telling me this week, he was like, yeah, they're doing some, some VR AR. I can't remember which one it was. And he said that the way the market, the scene that they marketed for it was the mommy milker scene. That was the, that was one of the first things that came up in like, the, <laughs> the trailer for it. This I don't know what the mommy milkers scene is. Uh, I haven't really? I haven't played it. I haven't played it yet. You haven't played Village yet? Oh wait, no shit, Village. I was thinking of uh, yes. I I'm sorry. I played Village. I was thinking okay. of um the one that came before it in the, okay. in the cabin. What's the but what's that what scene? Are, I still don't know what scene you're talking about. You know, have you not seen all the memes? So you know you know the very. I'm sure it has to do with woman. Lady Dimitri. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah, it has to do with her. It's her. It's her basically walking walking towards the camera. That do you have? Not, have you not seen all the memes about this? <laughs> no, okay. I mean well, I've seen I've seen plenty of people, yes, talking about how hot Lady Dimitrescu yes. is. But is there there's a specific 
mommy milkers meme yeah, of that's her? Just, that's, what, that's just what people call her on the internet is big mommy milkers oh my gosh I'm... yeah oh i didn't know you know that yeah so the, the, that was that was the way that was marketed or that wasn't like the way it was marketed rather that was one of the scenes <laughs> definitely not that was marketed yeah <laughs> get yourself some big mommy milkers that that's that's how they marketed the new game <laughs> Uh, so what's the so what does the VR have to do with this? I have no idea. That's all. Oh. That's all I know. <laughs> that's all. I've never played the game, so I I don't know much about it. That was the only piece of it I heard, and that's why. So okay, that's just one of those things you pick up on the internet. So um, anyway, Resident Evil Four <laughs> remake is coming out next March, which is pretty sweet because Capcom has honestly done a great job with the Resident Evil remakes. That's um, what I heard. I I would say like in my, in my mine uh, resident evil 4 doesn't feel like it needs a remake but but at the same but again at, on the other hand they've done a great job with them so far i'm, I'm willing to see how it comes out yeah give them a shot yeah um two more things what let me see okay two more things uh sega has announced a mega drive mini 2 or slash sega genesis mini 2 the caveat here is that it has only been announced for like an eight, like a Japanese release. So there's no, they haven't said that it's not coming out in like, you know, the West, but they haven't said it's not, they, they haven't said it is or isn't. They've only said, yes, it's coming out in Japan. Um, the list of games, this is, I'm getting this from videogameschronicle.com. They haven't announced the full list of games for it yet, but this one does include some Sega CD games, which the first one did not. Um, the partial list, as of now, it has Silphied, which was Sega CD, Shining Force CD, Sonic CD, Mansion of Hidden Souls for Sega CD, Popful Mail for Sega CD, which that's pretty huge because Popful Mail is one of those kind of cult classics that cost a million dollars on ebay now so that's that, that's pretty sweet if uh if they're gonna have it on here which which they are i just don't know if, if we'll get it and then all the rest of these are just uh genesis they're not sega cd the rest of these are virtual racing bonanza brothers shining in the darkness thunder force 4 which is supposed to be amazing magical taru ruto and fantasy zone which <laughs> I think was on the first one. This says a new Mega Drive port. I don't know what that means. Uh, let's see. The original Fantasy Zone was never released on the Mega Drive. The version on the Mega Drive 2 Mini is a new Mega Drive port based on its sequel, Super Fantasy Zone. I thought the first one had Fantasy Zone. Maybe it, maybe it was something else. Anyway, that's the list right now. The, 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 the not yet complete list for... The Sega Mega Drive 2, which we don't know if we're getting yet. And then finally, um, <laughs> Limited Run Games is is releasing or is going to be that right now they're in they're they're taking pre-orders for American Hero, which is this is a game that was unfinished for I think it was for Atari Jaguar. Um, so. You could only get it in, or no, I'm sorry. I think it was finished, but not released. Anyway, it's getting a release now via limited run games. Uh, they're, they're releasing it on PC plus I think all that. Yeah. PS5, Switch, 
and I don't know if it's getting an Xbox. It looks like maybe, or I don't know if it's getting PS4 either. It's definitely getting Switch, definitely getting PS5, um, and also PC, which PC has the unrated edition. That's the only way you can get the unrated edition. I don't know what's what's unrated about it. I was just going to ask you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. All I know is that this is a, an FMV game that <laughs> looks... It's not like a sexual game, but it but it looks plumbers don't wear ties levels of bad. So you're gonna buy it. I have already pre-ordered it. There it is. <laughs> yeah, honey pop. But this All is just this is just like an action game. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> what type of action? I <laughs> let's see. okay. It does say violence, blood, sexual content, strong language. So that, so there. Um, but it's like a nineties action movie basically, but it's a game, but, but, but very bad from what I've seen, very, very, very laughable production values, that kind of stuff. Um, so if you've had, if you've been wanting to try out American hero, now's your chance. Uh, I'm sure you can find ROMs of it online and stuff, but, uh, if you don't, if you're kind of like me and don't feel like messing around with that kind of stuff, here it is. And it comes with an American hero pen. Wow. Yeah, and it looks like a little keychain of some sort. So, uh, yeah, there's, but the but the the important part is that you get the game. Of course, of course, of course. All right, that's all we have for news, huh? I'm gonna go to the bathroom real quick. Before I do, uh, I forgot to mention one thing about Diablo Immortal. A lot of people are streaming it. If you watch them, they have a counter of how much money they've spent. So, which is really entertaining to watch. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, there are those guys watching who spent nearly three uh, $3,000 already uh, in just a couple days. Oh, that's yep. that's sad. I'll be right back. Well, he, I mean, he's streaming it, so he's making the money back, but, you know, you get Well, that. is he, though? From streaming? I mean, with a lot of viewership, yeah, 100%. Yeah, but does he have a lot of viewers? He's got 20K, so yeah. Oh, okay, so. okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jay, well, let's talk about the games uh, that we've been playing. I think I usually have you go first, so I'll go first this time. Sure. I only have one today. So. Oh, oh, real quick. I'm sorry. I have one thing to say. I, uh, I actually, I don't even think I told you about this. I was on Drunk Friend podcast this week. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, Travis emailed me a couple weeks ago. He's like, "Hey, you want to come back on?" Just basically, like they, they had just an email episode where they just kind of get caught up on emails. Sure. And uh, they'll usually have a guest on for that. And so he's like, "Hey, you want to come back on and do it?" And of course, I did. So I was on. Episode, I think it was 84 of Drunk Friend Podcast just came out this past week, and uh, we had lots of fun talking about, as always, if you listen to Drunk Friend, um, conversation one way or another always ends up talking about 90s things, and <laughs> it was no different this time. We talked about 90s action movies, 90s Ooh. sports, 90s, uh, a little bit of 90s music. Who's your favorite 90s uh, action movie star? Action movie star? I'm not, I don't... Yeah. I'm not somebody who really gets hung up on particular actors, but I mean, you can't go wrong with Arnold. Yeah, of course. Um, my somebody emailed and asked our top three '90s uh, action movies, Ooh. and off the top, of my, off the top of my head, the ones that I came up with were Matrix, Face Off, and T2. 
Uh, so obviously the Matrix. I mean, Matrix is just—it was such an incredible movie. I yeah. still can't believe that came out in the nineties. It was so good. Yeah, Face Off is a great one. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage <laughs> is just so much fun to watch. He's no, I, I, I really don't. I think Nicholas Cage is kind of a dog shit actor, generally speaking. Oh really? But God, they're hundred percent. Have, have oh, you seen The Rock? Yeah, I think he's a great. I think he's. Oh my God! It's so awful. I love it. I love every second of it. <laughs> I feel like he's Pretty not. Sucker. I think he's, I think he's consciously quirky. You think so? I don't. I I think he thinks he. I I, I is it? He's the one who like didn't he build like a gold pyramid on an island to be buried in or some shit? I have no idea. But he, maybe. I, I feel like he he thinks he's uh the bee's knees if I had to guess. But I don't know. I that I love his '90s movies. His action movies are great. I I love watching them. But I Nicolas Cage is just he's so ridiculous in those movies. <laughs> face off especially face off's a great movie face off is 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 dumb but very yep. good still <laughs> yes. that, that's kind of what i'm getting at yes exactly john travolta is great in it too obviously but yeah uh, that's a good one what was the third one you say oh t2 terminator 2 yeah you like t2 more than t1 actually i do like t1 better but okay. i was looking it up on the spot as i was coming up the, with my list and t1 came out in 89 Oh, did it really? Damn. Yeah. What about Seagal? You're not a Seagal person? No, I never was. I fucking hate Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> he's so, he seems like such a douchebag. Oh, he yeah. really does. He really it's does. Just, his movies, I, I've watched them on like TV and stuff like that, and he's just, oh, those movies, are they're not fun. Like he, he seems like he takes himself very, very seriously. Yep. If I had to guess. <laughs> I think you're exactly right. I had a, well, I still do. One of my friends, when we were growing up, like he and his dad were the biggest Steven Seagal fans. Uh, like, unironically? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, unironically. They, they loved his movies. And I, I think if you ask them now, they probably feel the same way we do. But, like, growing up, they, they, they okay, loved the okay. guy. That, see, that's fine. Like, in my opinion, like, in all seriousness, like, if you like something during the time of the hype, sure. Like, like, like uh, what's another example? Uh, Fast and Furious. You know, people love early Fast and Furious movies. Now we all, we all generally kind of know their memes and they're ridiculous. I think if you kind of have that perspective, I can respect it. If you're somebody who's diehard and really enjoys them and thinks they're quality movies, <laughs> whew, that is. Uh... Okay, I got a question for you on the Fast and the Furious movies. If you, sure. if I have never seen any of them, really? If I were to go and watch the first one, would it be enjoyable from a like, oh, okay, this is dumb but still fun kind yes. of way? Okay, yeah. okay, absolutely. I have to uh, check it yeah, out. I mean, what's his name makes those movies? Uh, the bald guy, I can't think of his name. Charles Barkley. No, what? Oh my gosh! I don't know. Who... It's Vin Diesel. Oh, Vin, Vin Diesel. Well, he yeah, doesn't. He, he did, makes like, triple them. X. He no, no, no. He's them. he's just no, 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 no. He's just like the, the one of the primary he's parts of those actor. movies. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's like him and the other guy. I can't think of his name. The guy who passed away a couple years ago. But those, yeah, those I two, I mean, they really make those movies. Oh, oh, oh! You mean like they make them? Like they're the ones that make the movie yeah. good? Okay, when you said he makes yeah. the movies, I was like, no, he's not the director. I thought no, that's what you no, mean. no, no, no. Okay, I mean like like at I that understand. time it was like he was making. Tri- did, did you see Triple X? Have you seen Triple X? No. Oh my god, we we gotta we gotta watch the movies together. Triple X is an atrocious movie, but it's one of those movies you watch and you just it, it's a time capsule. It really is just an obscene movie from that time, and I don't know. It's just one of those action movies you watch it and you either love it. No, everybody hates it, but it, it's it's just fun <laughs> to watch. To be honest, is that on? Is is that does that stream on anything? Do, I have that no you know? Idea. I don't. I don't have any streaming services. So I have no clue. I just pulled up something that was loud. It's probably going to be annoying to people listening. Um, 
if is okay one more thing is it kid friendly enough that my 13 year old could watch it and it not be awkward is there like there's not like is there a sex scene in there? Because there's that's... some sexual stuff, and it's not like there's no. I don't think there's any. It's been a minute since I've seen it, and the last times I've seen it was probably on cable TV, which means you know it's obviously much more uh, restricted. But I don't remember there being sex scenes, but there's definitely like you know women. It, it's it's street racing, so there's women in you know outfits that aren't necessarily appropriate for children, and sure. some comments made, and there's probably some like sex scenes, but it's not like over the top because I think. They they were very careful because they wanted to make sure that teenagers could see. Oh, that. that makes okay. That, I'm I'm okay with like little, with with little things here and there as long as it's a PG-13 movie. Yeah, see, they they knew what they were doing, so it should be fine. Within reason, I mean, and also you know, it, it's yeah, they're they're fun. I would love to. They're they're they they're still making them. They're making a tenth one right now. So you know, yeah, and apparently one of them is going to be in space, which I just love. <laughs> Great. Do you, do you know the tropes about scary movies in space? Uh, it seems like every scary movie franchise eventually ends up in space. Yes, okay. you are exactly correct. Yep, that's exactly right. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that to me, it's so funny because people said that for years with Fast and the Furious. Like, at what point are we going to space? And people said it jokingly, <laughs> but apparently it's it's up for discussion right now. We're doing it, boys. Hey, I'm, I'm if I feel like, you know... If you take it to space, then you're acknowledging, yes, this is ridiculous. Why not just have fun and take it to space? I'm, I'm, I, can, I, I love I can, horror movies and I love bad horror movies. I can get behind that. Yeah, I'm gonna let my dog over. We just um, started going through The Office. Like I've never watched The Office before. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen a few episodes, but I just never sure. watched it much. And me and my wife and my daughter started watching it, and there are some episodes. Where, like, I just kind of had to be like, okay, well, maybe we're going to skip the rest of this and go on to the next one. Yeah. There's, it, the, there's the one where the guy, like, uh, Michael Scott gets in trouble for calling this one guy gay, like, as a as an insult. Yeah. But it turns out the guy actually is gay. <laughs> and, he, and he spends, like, the rest. And, well, first off, the HR guy is trying to tell him, like, Michael, you can't say that he's gay. And Michael's like, hey, hey, don't say that about him. And he's like, no, no, he's actually gay. He's like, dude, you stop saying it. You're taking it too far. Stop. And he's like, no, Michael, he is actually gay. And like, he finally gets it. And then he spends the whole rest of the episode trying to prove how open-minded yeah. he is. <laughs> and he has, he has Dwight pull up gay porn. And oh, he's Jesus. Like, and he's like, this is, I mean, we're, you know, this is just, what people, you know, this is honestly, this is just a beautiful thing. This is just what people do. Oh my I was God. crying, laughing, but then I was like, "I'm sorry, can't we can't, we can't watch this anymore." I, I can't do that show. So, so uh, I, I re- usually people are like Seinfeld or The Office. Like this, there are people that like both of them, but generally speaking, people usually are one way or the other. I can't do The Office. I love Seinfeld. Really? I've watched Seinfeld my entire life. I cannot do it. It the un, the uncomfortable humor. It just does not do anything for me. It just makes me so uncomfortable. Really? There's, what I used to do in our old house when I lived with with um, Zach and, and some other people is whenever we couldn't figure, find something to watch or people would make a decision, I would threaten to put on The Office until they would t- put something or p- until they would recommend something. Else. Oh wow! Really? I used to torture them with it. And the the one episode in particular is the one where they're doing like an activity where they basically wear like a race on their forehead and it's a piece of paper backwards. And they have to like basically describe or introduce themselves based off of it, and it just obviously goes to a really racist place. I just cannot do it. It's just too much 
<laughs> uncomfortable humor. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. It, it just, I hate that show. I can't, I cannot watch it for more than like 10 minutes. It's just too something. uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't yeah. do uncomfortable humor. I know some people really like it, you know, curb oh, enthusiasm. Yeah. People really like that as well. I just, I can't do it. Well, I've been, I've been loving it personally. I know I'm 30 but, years, but I'm 30 years behind the mark, but, uh, but we're, but we're liking it. Anyway, I just rewatched all of Seinfeld with Lisa and she, she loved it. Dude, I started watching that a little bit too because I ha- I've I've only just watched it a little bit when I was very little and like when it sure. originally was out. And every once in a while, it would, it would just be on. I'd be watching it with my parents or something. The first few episodes have not been sucking me in. It, it, t- it they definitely it definitely took them time to get a groove because that was their, okay. their pilot time. It definitely takes some time for because they they have to feel out the characters and they do replace some of the characters too with with different actors. It definitely the first season is, is a little bit bumpy, but we watched it and it was. It was very good. I will okay. say, like, they're, they're, I'm glad they ended the show when they did because they were starting to run out of ideas and they started to recycle things a little bit. Uh, like, towards, like, the last... Probably the last season was a little bit bumpy for me, but the middle area is just... It was just really good. And a lot of it still holds up to it. And the worst part is a lot of it's still relevant, which is so <laughs> sad to think about because they're basically criticizing society at times. And oh, know, yeah. it's so sad to think that they're doing this 30 years ago and it's still somehow relevant. Yeah. Well, okay. Then I'll stick with it and keep on going. That's honestly that's that's kind of how the office was. Like the first couple episodes, they were fine, but they weren't anything special. Yeah, it's, it's pilots, right? Like that's usually how it goes. Yeah. Okay. What the hell were we talking about that we got out of here? How are we out here? <laughs> I, that's a good question. I don't know how we got here. Oh, we were talking. About, oh, I was talking about being a drunk, drunk friend. friend. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, go go check out that episode. It was lots of fun. Um, I will talk about the games that I've played for this episode. First was Galactic Civilizations Two. I'm trying to look up what when it came out. It came out in uh, two oh geez, two thousand six. I thought it was oh wow. So tech, wow, you pulled a J. I pulled a J. Jeez, uh, that's crazy. I thought it was like late nineties or before that maybe even. But no, two thousand six. Anyway, it is a four uh, X in space. So one of these you know civ like games that takes place in space. And oh wait, hold on! I'm looking at something different here. I think it came out in 2003. Okay, the base game came out in 2003, and the no, I'm sorry, it was 2006 all along. Um, four X in space. The you know just like any four X, the the point of the game is to expand your we, we talked about what the four x's were earlier i don't remember exactly what they are but you're trying to expand your galactic civilization and build up your military might build up your uh in, in your industry so that you have enough production for everything um build up your population so that you can expand and colonize other planets um which which in turn builds up your population more and then, you know, maintain diplomatic relations with other civilizations, particularly the ones that you come across that are nearby you so that you don't have to go to war with them to, you know, so that, well, it's, it's it honestly, actually, it's up to you build up your diplomatic relations with them, you know, in order to stay on friendly terms with them, or just try to take them over or just build up your military enough so that it is, uh, so that, you know, if, if they try to conquer you or something, you can fight them off. At the same time, there's a bunch of tech research going on as opposed to Civ, the message. huh ignore my message okay as opposed to Civ, there is 
there are a lot more texts to research, but they generally take less amount of time. So you've got all sorts of weapons type research to do. You have, you know, like uh, making your ships be able to go farther through space type research, research for, you know, intraplanetary stuff like just things that are on your like, you know, whether, you know, how much population you can support, what kind of planets you can colonize, what kind of buildings you can build on the planets that you have. Um, so you are kind of managing multiple, multiple scales of things. You're managing your, you know, your, your civilization as a whole determine, you know, building your ships, building up your army, your, your military, deciding which planets to go try to colonize. And then on each, on the planets that you have colonized, they each have certain, you can pull up a planet screen and it'll basically has certain tile. It's got a grid where you can build on certain tiles, you know, depending on how much of it is water or this and that. And then you are deciding what buildings to build on each planet. Some of them will give you research. Some of them will do things just for the planet itself. Like it'll make this planet be able to support a higher population. Um, some of them are, you know, this planet just gets a shipyard so you can build ships from it. Some of them will boost the, the, the planet's production so that when you build things, you can build stuff faster from it. Um, some of them have things like, oh, this will make the planet have, uh, bring in tourism. So you get tourism and, and income from that. Various things like that. Some of the tiles on a planet have different boosts. So if it's, you know, I don't remember the specific ones, but think, but for instance, if you build a, a, a research building on a, on, in an area of the planet that has something interesting scientifically about it, like maybe a, a rainforest or something like that, it'll boost the research that that building gives you. So there are things like that. Um, there are, you have a, you have a lot of leeway as far as how you customize your uh, your civilization when you're when you're first starting it off. You kind of decide what they're good, you know, what the what this race of people uh, are, or you know, this race of beings is good at what they're not good at. And you, I mean, honestly, it reminded me a lot of Stellaris, whereas you really have a lot of customization you can do to just kind of determine what kind of people you are. Um, and then there's also a lot of, there are a lot of options for the, the just the world itself, how frequent um, colonizable planets are like, like, like how, like, like how many of the planets you find, you know, generally speaking are colonizable, how big the galaxy is, what kind of shape the galaxy is, how many other people are in the galaxy, how many um, resources are available and that kind of stuff. I tend to like big games. So I, I did, I think the biggest size galaxy and I like it when I play games, when I play space games like this, I like it when finding a colonizable planet is kind of a special event. So I like to keep those their their frequency low so that you find them less often. Cause it just kind of seems more realistic to me. Um, all sorts of things like that, that you can customize gameplay wise as you get farther and farther in the game and you research more stuff, you can research basically the ability to trade with other races. So then you can build freighters and have them go on trade routes with, with other planets of other, 
you know, of other civilizations and you, you know, that starts, obviously that's, that's a, that's an income thing. Um, and it's just really cool once you get your, once you get, I call it your empire, your civilization, whatever it is, you know, whether it's kind of empirical or not, um, or I guess imperial would be the word. Um, just kind of getting everything and seeing and, and watching it run. You've got kind of sc- scout ships going all over the place, discovering more of the galaxy and finding little anomalies that you can research. Um, you know, you've got your trade ships going, you've got your colony ships often heading out somewhere. You have other ships that can construct things in space, like they can construct military kind of outposts that'll give you defense boosts if you get in a battle around them. Or they can, um, certain, certain objects, you can kind of build stuff on them that will boost research or income for, or whatever it might be. Then you might find mines that, or or like asteroids that you can mine and you can build ships that will go to those asteroids and kind of build extractors on them that will send resources back to, back to planets that will boost their production. There's really a whole lot going on and it's pretty fun. Um, once you start meeting other uh, civilizations, then of course there's, you know, there's the diplomacy that I talked about. There's trading that you can do, not just with the trade routes with your ships that I was talking about, but also just directly calling up and say, Hey, do you want to trade this for that? Um, of course you'll, you know, you'll come across civilizations that are very militaristic and they're just, and they'll just say, Hey, pay me 800 bucks and I won't, uh, you know, and I won't, um, invade you for a little while. The, the race that I was playing was kind of weak early on. So I ended up having to do that quite a few times, but, um, overall I was really impressed with it. It's, it's, it's a really fun game. My complaint with it though, is that it's a little bit slow. Um, so it is turn-based, but it takes a very long time for anything kind of interesting to happen. That's what I was going to guess. Yeah. And there are a couple reasons for that. One is I just had it set on like a slow time, uh, setting to where the game just is naturally will take longer to play, which I generally do on these types of games. Cause I'll, I like them to take a long time, especially in Civ games. But in this one, it was just a little bit too much. Um, because another, because the other thing is space for X games tend to have this problem Whereas in Civ, you're constantly exploring, you're finding mountains, you're finding the edge of the continent that you're on, you know, you're finding, you know, along with other civilizations and stuff, there are a lot of geographical features that are very important for you to find, and that also are interesting and kind of change the whole dynamic of what you're able to do, you know, what parts of your of your countries, like where you're safe and where you might need to build up defenses and have your military set and that kind of stuff. Um, as well as finding, Oh, you know, on this spot, I've got, uh, an, you know, there's, there's iron and I can build a mine here in space for X games in general. A lot of that is lost since it's just open space. You can go anywhere at any time. There's no such things as mountains to make the geography interesting. There's no such thing as shores that you're going to eventually get to have to build boats to go across. So it's really, even though you have the, even though outer space is a cool setting in general, you're missing a lot. You're missing all of these geographical dynamics that really, really make the Civ games. Uh, it really accounts for a lot of the fun of the Civ games, in my opinion. You're missing that in these, so there's just less stuff going on. So turn to turn, 
often you're just like clicking the next button, let your ships continue to go wherever they're going. Maybe you might have to jump up and, and start construction on a new building or a new ship or a, a new research or something like that. But there is a lot less going on turn to turn in this game than there is, you know, again, just compare it straight to Civ. There's a lot less going on turn to turn. So the fact that I did choose a long time span for my game made just kind of exacerbated that. And I eventually just kind of got bored because there's just like nothing going on, you know, for, for very long stretches of time. So it is a cool game and I had fun playing it, but I would just recommend people who, even if you're like me and you like games like this to last a long time, maybe don't, you know, don't do, don't do it super short, but maybe don't do the maximum amount of time for, for a game. Like just turn it down some so that more stuff is happening on a turn to turn basis. Um, but overall I was, I was very impressed. I had, I had, I had a good, t- I don't feel, I, I, I put probably about six or seven, maybe eight hours into it. I had fun during that time. That was at the point that I got burnt out. So, but I did have fun during the time that I played it for the most part, you know, overall. Um, I know you're big into space. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that was part of your initial interest. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. And it, it, it I mean, I, this should have been obvious probably as someone who likes space stuff in general, I don't know why I had never played this, but playing this after having played Stellaris, I can see I can see how Stellaris takes a lot of ideas from this game. The other one that I played is Star Wars Kotor, Knights of the Old oh, really? Knights of the Old Republic. Yes, uh, so we talked about Kotor two in the news. I played the this. I didn't play Kotor two. I played the first one. Uh, I had played this, and I've. I played this all the way through when it originally came out. It's a really good game. Um, it is a it's an it's a Bioware RPG, and obviously in the Star Wars universe. And you the the premise is you are this guy who kind of wakes up, um, and you are you're, the the ship that you're on is under attack. You are uh you work for the you're a soldier for the Republic. Um, actually, I can't remember if you might be a mercenary for the Republic, but you, regardless, you're working with the Republic. The, this is 4,000 years before the events of the, uh, of the star Wars movies. Um, there's a Sith, a big giant Sith army, uh, taking, slowly taking over the galaxy. The Republic of course is trying to fight them off and you are part of that effort to fight them off. And when the game starts, the ship that you are on is under attack by the Sith uh, they kind of ambushed you and it's a surprise attack. Everybody's dead. Pretty much you fight through to get to an escape pod with some other guy. You get in the escape pod and you end up on some planet and you kind of evade um, the Sith and, and end up in this little apartment building on the planet. And the Sith is there kind of has everything under lockdown. Um, just trying to find any survivors and you are going around. It starts off with just kind of you running around this planet, trying to kind of get a get an idea of what's going on down here, and trying to figure out a way to get off of the planet. Um, from there it goes to uh, the the story really expands as you as you might expect. It ends up involving this uh, this dark Jedi named Darth Revan, who there's a really cool kind of twist that happens involving him later in the game. That's 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 really neat and really works well story-wise. 
throughout the game, you eventually start becoming a Jedi, as you could probably guess. And uh, you're you're not a Jedi at all when it first starts off, but you do you do start becoming a Jedi uh, during the game. Um, at the time, one of the really cool things about this game was the fact that you could choose through your actions in the game whether you were going to be a a, a good Jedi or a dark Jedi. That was this was before basically every single RPG had a had some sort of morality system. Of um, this was really one of the first ones to do that, at least the, one of the first ones to do it in a way that really made a difference. Um, Cause obviously by the get, by the time you get to the end of the game, there are big implications story wise, depending on whether your guy is a, is a Jedi or a dark Jedi, that's going to change things up a lot as opposed to just, Oh, well he's a good guy doing the same thing or is he a bad guy doing the same thing? It's the, it does a more, it does a, better job of adapting to that than other games that had tried stuff like this beforehand. And this just does it better than any game had before. And this is also the first one, even just with like, if you're looking just at star Wars games in particular, this is the first star Wars game where you could say, Hey, I'm going to be good or bad. I, you know, that's that I have that choice. I'm not just, I'm not just playing through what was written for this character, which was really neat at the time. Again, all that stuff you, you almost expect to find now in, in games like this, but this was really one of the first ones to do this very well. Uh, and it does do it very well. The only the only thing it on that front, the only thing that it doesn't do great is if you are good or bad, you have to go all in on that. Or else you are you missing the middle. You can, but the incentive is to go all in because if you st- if you play it in the middle, then you're just so when you get far when you get more good points or dark points, then you get, uh, as you play through the game, you can use those to get more Jedi skills. So if you're kind of toe in the middle, then you're going to get less of those points in general. And you're not going to have awesome skills by the time you get, you're, you're crippling your character if you play it in the middle. Um, so you can't just say, Oh, I'm going to just do, well, I mean, you could, but it's going to make things harder. It's not very, it's not a good idea to play the game and say, Hey, I'm just going to do what I would do in this circumstance, or I'm going to try to play this guy. Who's kind of neutral. No, you're going to be missing out on a, on a lot, uh, as far as just how powerful your character is. If you do that. So you really just, the way to play it is just to choose good or bad and go and go all in. Uh, and this, and this starts bef- even before you know that you're going to become a Jedi, like even just, when you're in this first part of the game, you know, crashed on this planet, you are, you have the op, you know, through dialogue, you have the option to do bad things or good things basically with anybody you come across. So I was playing this as a bad guy because I always play the good guy in games like this, like where you have a choice since I've, since I had already played through this game all the way when it first came out. And I guess, when did it come out? It was, I forgot to mention that at the beginning. Um, I think it was like no 2005. Idea. Yeah. Okay. It was 2003. Okay. It came out on, I had it on Xbox. Pretty sure it was out on PC. Um, wow. It looks like those were the only things it was originally out on. Of course, now it's on <laughs> switch as well. Um, it's on steam. According to this it's on iOS and Android. Um, so I played it as a good guy, you know, when I when it when it first came out. So I decided this time to play it as a bad guy. So it's like you'll be 
it's it's kind of funny because there you'll come across it's so like any bioware game you come across situations where it's like oh gosh this guy's in trouble let's you know there's something going on kind of incidentally almost sort of like a side quest it's like oh here's this guy's in trouble let's help him and so there's one part where i was walking i walked up and there this guy um was these two bounty hunters were after him and he was like hey you know they're like hey you know so and so wants his money give it to us or we're going to kill you. And the guy is like, Hey, all I've got is, uh, you know, 50 credits. And they're like, well, you owe 600. So, and he was like, well, what am I supposed to do? They're like, well, sorry. And then you step in and, uh, you fight off the, the guys who are going to kill him. And then like one of my dialogue, the guy's like, geez, thanks. One of my dialogue options was, all right, hand over the 50 or you're dead. <laughs> And you say that and the NPC who's follow who's in your party at that point, and he's following you around. He's like, what? We don't need this guy's money. Why are you doing, why are you acting like this? And the guy, and you're just like, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just watching out for myself. I don't really give a shit about this guy. And the guy's like, all right, you know, just whatever, just take your money. And there's this one person who it's, it's Another funny thing about playing a bad guy is when you're, there's this big kind of, there are all these apartments in this first area where you're in. And if you can, if you have a good security skill, which is a lock picking skill, then you can, then you can pick all the locks to all these doors and walk in and just be like, yeah, I'm here to rob you and just take all their stuff and leave. And, uh, but there's this one guy who's, who goes, uh, who, who thought I was a bounty hunter out to get him. And, uh, you're like, and he's like, and he's trying to convince you not to kill him. But then basically what I did was I just told him I was a bounty hunter and then killed him anyways and stole all his stuff. And then I, later on, I found the hut who is kind of, uh, the one paying all the bounties for all these people. And he says, Oh, you know, I've got this bounty on this guy. And you're like, Oh, well I killed him. So I'm here to collect the bounty. <laughs> and he just yep. said, he pays you for killing him. So I actually was a bounty hunter, but didn't even realize it at the time. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that, that happens. Uh, the game is really pretty fun until you get to the combat. By the time I got through the first, you know, the first dungeon of the game, which really, which is kind of almost a traditional dungeon. You're in the sewers, uh, on this on this planet that you're on. By the time I got through with that, when I was so burnt out on the combat that I just decided I was done with the game. <laughs> like this was maybe five or six hours in, so I got a good taste of it. Um, but after I got done with that, I was just like, I don't want to deal with this combat anymore. It's so dull. All it is is you click it on somebody and then shooting them or hacking them with a sword until they're dead. You have skills and things that you can use, but they're not interesting. And a lot of the time they're not really that good either. Like I was, I built my guy as a melee, just a straight up melee damage dealer. And the, and this is true, whether you're using blasters or a sword, um, like the abilities you have to use that you can get as you level up, it's all, it's, it feels like they all even out on the trade-off when you're using them. It's like, okay, you can do an extra powerful hit, but your defense goes down by, you know, X amount of points for the turn that you use it. So you're like, well, I don't want to take extra damage. I just, 
I mean, so I guess I just won't use it. And it's and it's the same thing. Oh, you have a better critical chance, but your defense goes down. Oh, you get an extra turn, but your defense goes way down. So none of those were interesting to me. So, like as far as building out your character, it seems like the better way to go is just to ignore those and gives you and, 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 and instead just pick perks that just straight up make you stronger, like passively. Um, so those aren't very helpful, but also they make the combat very boring because there's nothing else to mix up the combat. Everything you're choosing is just, I mean, you could throw a grenade. If you have a few, you can obviously you need to heal every now and then, but besides that, it's just click on this guy, run up and start attacking him. If you want to use one of your, I think they're called feats. If you want to use one of your feats, such as, you know, boost your critical chance for a round, go ahead and do so, but that's going to lower your defense also. So, Again, it felt like a wash on every time. I didn't want to take the extra damage, so I wasn't really using those. So because of that, there was no variety to the combat at all. Every single combat encounter, I just run up, start hacking at people until they're dead. And I didn't really see that changing at any point in the game. This is why I got played Divinity. Uh, I played the first one plenty. I'm gonna, are you going to play Baldur's Gate? I, I, yes, I will play Baldur's Gate. I will too. I'm going to play Pathfinder after I finish Divinity, I think. That's uh, fun. oh, okay. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard good and bad things about Pathfinder. I talked to Zach about it. Zach plays a lot of CRPGs. So he, he was the one that he, told me about Pathfinder. Yeah. He's, he put a, uh, between that and Kingmaker, he probably put in like three or 400 hours. At least. I thought Pathfinder is Kingmaker. I don't think so. Maybe Path- that's one of them. The game is called the game is called Pathfinder Kingmaker. There's there's another one that, that came out recently for Pathfinder. I don't think it's Kingmaker though. Okay, so is it like a sequel to Pathfinder Kingmaker? I think so. I don't think it's called Kingmaker though. So. Well, uh, I th- go ahead. Do you find it? Oh no, I'm trying to find it. No. Okay. Well, let us know if you find it. It's um, maybe. Anyway, this overall there was there's a lot of good stuff in in Knights of the Old Republic. I felt like it just doesn't hold up very well. Um, again, the stuff outside of the combat was was fun and it was neat. Um, the story overall, as I said, I remember it being very good. It did a lot of cool stuff at the time, but the combat is just so dull that I just didn't see myself. Conti- I could see, you know, I, I'm sure I could play it for a little bit longer and have fun with it, especially since I was through with this dungeon. And back to story stuff, but I just didn't like the idea of continuing to get into other dungeons or, you know, other combat areas and having to deal with that. It's just, it's just dull and boring once you start fighting people. So overall, it kind of is a wash for me. I, you know, take, take, take what you will out of that. I'm done with it myself. I think it has a lot of cool stuff to offer. If you've never played it, I'd probably say give it a shot because it does have a lot of redeeming qualities, again, story-wise and all that. But sure. but to me it it just didn't hold up. Cool. All right, Jay. What have you been playing? Oh my gosh, we still got to do our top tens too. <laughs> I don't know, it's gonna be a longer one. Yeah, it's gonna be a longer one. Uh, I, I might should have saved that. But anyway, what what have you what have you been playing? Okay, mine's not gonna be nearly as long, so hopefully it'll help to level it out. Okay. Uh, so I I'm doing a little bit of a nostalgia bender right now. I'm going through and playing some games that I have either rented or played over the last couple of years, or excuse me, well, last couple of years when I was a kid, uh, and just kind of revisiting to see how they are. And this one was Clay Fighter. Uh, oh wow! You know, 
I'm not a huge fighting game person. It's just not something that there are certain games that I play and I'm like, oh, I want to get good at this. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this. Fighting games have never really been that thing for me, with sure. the exception of like Smash Brothers, maybe because Smash Brothers is, you know, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Uh, Clay Fighter was a game that I rented a bunch of different times and never got good at it, never beat the game. Uh, my older brother would beat me up on it all the time because, you know, you just you don't grasp it, especially at that time when fighting games, people really didn't know a whole lot other than, you know, crouch, kick and kick, basically, right, yeah. <laughs> like the two primary things. So revisited uh, Clay Fighter, which let me pull up the sheet. Uh, it came out in 1993. Uh, I played it for the Super Nintendo, uh, the, the version that I played for it. Mm hmm. And this is a very traditional fighting game. Uh, however, the there are some unique characters to it, or uh, basically all the characters are somewhat unique. What's interesting, though, is I misremembered a lot of the characters. I thought that they had the more known names of them. I didn't realize they were kind of like play on the original names. And a prime example was um, I Ichabod Crane was the character that I played a lot as a child. But in this, he's called Ichabod Clay. I never picked up on that as a child. I always thought it was just Ichabod Crane. Uh, okay, no so you're talking about this, like, there's a guy that looks like Frosty the Snowman, but he's not named Frosty the Snowman. That's what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And his, uh, that that character's name, by the way, is called, it's like Big, oh, it's Bad Mr. Frosty, by the way. That, that That's his name for it. There's a guy that looks like Elvis, whose name is Blue Suede Goo. Um, Good one. So there, there are some pretty, pretty interesting, I, I didn't remember that properly. It was just something I was, like, playing through it, and I was like, oh, there's you know, 15 or so different characters. Um, there is a single player mode where you play through a campaign. I think you play against every single character and then you fight the last boss, which is named like, I think the last boss's name is like N boss. Like the letter N is in November and then there's okay. the word boss. And uh, so play through the game, uh, the single player mode, I played through the campaign and it's, I like the, the setup of the campaign because usually when you're playing through fighting game campaigns, if you die you know, if you lose a fight, you basically just have to start over. Or you have, like, a set number of continues, and then you have to go back to the very beginning. In this one, you basically, you select a character, you fight a, a, a series of, like, three different fights. It's best of threes. And then after you do that, you go to the next, next quote-unquote, world. You fight, like, four battles, and so on and so forth, till you've, till you've defeated, I think, if all, or excuse me, most, if not all, the other um, champions that are in the game... And then you ultimately fight the last boss. Let me let me die, let me interrupt you re really fast. Just, if I'm sure everybody's somewhat familiar with this game, but if you're not, the, the kind of gimmick of this game is that all of the characters look like they're made out of clay. That's yeah. why. That's why it's called Clay Fighter, of course. Good call. Yeah, and 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 uh, even more on that too is like the art style. They obviously everything looks very shiny, like it's like uh, new clay, and I appreciate that. I, I thought in my mind the graphics of this game were a lot better than they are. They're not bad. They hold up better than you probably would expect. It's okay. not great, but that art style, that kind of cartoonish clay shininess is, it holds up okay. Like you can at least understand it. You know, a lot of old fighting games look really rough and you, you, a lot of times you're waiting for the, the remaster, or the remake of it. This one is okay in terms of the, the visual elements of it. Okay. So... Uh, the actual, so if you, if you're going through the campaign and you die, you can basically just choose continue indefinitely. And every time you hit continue, you can switch characters, which is exactly what I did. Oh, that's every nice. time I would, I would die. I would just switch two different characters. I was just kind of curious to see how the different characters play and, and how they were. So I played as like five or six different characters. Um, I played as Ichibod Clay first. That was the first one I played as, um, I played as Helga, who is a very traditional Viking uh, looking character. She's like an opera singer looking person. Opera right? singer. That, that's a good way to put it. 
Um, I played as the blob, which was pretty cool. I like the blob because when you block, it's very apparent that you're blocking. The other characters, it's kind of hard to tell. He, he actually just turns into like almost like a door. It's like a big rectangle because he's he kind of looks like Gumby in a way. He's just a big block of clay. And, you know, he goes into different uh, when you're doing abilities, he shifts into like a shoe or in this case, just like a rectangle that looks like they're blocking. And I like that because it makes it really easy to determine when you are or are not blocking. Whereas some of the other characters like uh, Big Bad or Bad Mr. Frosty, it was kind of hard to decipher that uh, you were blocking in that way. The characters, I don't, I'm not a huge fighting game person, so I'm not going to sit here and talk about tech and, and insight on the, the differences of the characters and their abilities and all that fun stuff. Um, I went into this completely blind. I didn't look up how to do moves or anything. So I learned a lot of things just by playing against the AI because they, AI is a bunch of fucking cheaters, by the way. My God, fighting, I know they're, I know that's very common in fighting games, but this game is just abusive with it. The, the AI, like, they, it's really weird. I, I don't know how this fully works. I kind of, I kind of felt this throughout the game, but it seems like if you're lower on health, you do more damage, or if you're mm. higher on health, you just take more damage. So that it helps to like balance the game out, I, I guess, in a way. Because I would get hit, you know, like like a kick or something, and it would do twenty percent of my health if I was at full. But if I was low, it would do like five percent of my health. Really? Which is weird because it's like, why are they, why are these catch up mechanics exist? Even more, when the AI gets low, they start to play really cheaply. They do things like where they won't engage with you and they'll just do th they'll do their like ranged ability over and over and over again. Or they'll do the grab mechanic, which the grab mechanic in this game, just take a guess how much damage a grapple ability should do in a fighting game. In this case, oh man, I feel like uh, I feel like it should it sets you up for a combo kind of. I, I feel like it should do maybe a little bit more than a hit. Okay, how about 50% of your health? Do you think that's reasonable <laughs> for a fighting game? How about if you do it twice in a row and you just kill somebody? Is that is that a balanced Holy interaction? Crap. Is that a fun game? Yeah. So so one of the characters as you progress through the game, obviously the the people you're playing against get better and better. I was playing against Bonker, which is a I think his name's Bonker. It's like a clown. And it, the fight I was playing against him, the fight would open and we would, you know, I would throw a kick, he'd block, he'd throw a kick, I'd block, you know, whatever, we'd do some jumping. And then he would just grab me. And it's 50% of your health. And there's no way to get out of it that I could figure out. You couldn't, like, punch buttons to get out. And then he jumps behind me and grabs me again. And I, I'm just dead. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, this is so stupid. So uh, what I what I'm doing in fights like that where the bad guy would do, like, really cheap stuff, I would just do it back. I would just back up. And every time they would jump to me, I would just jump kick him out of the air until they would die. And then I would just get through those fights and, and just basically do the same thing back to them, but in a different way. One of the characters, I don't know why, is like a, it looks like a buff caveman. I, I can't remember his name off the top <laughs> of my head. I don't remember him. He he was so cheap. Like it, it, it was, I don't know why, but he was so much stronger than all the other characters. His like attacks would do so much damage. And he had this one me uh, mechanic where he would jump and attack sideways. Like basically kind of like you think about Luigi and um, uh, Smash Brothers, if you do like an over B mechanic, he basically like jumps at you almost kind of like a headbutt and it did so much damage and he would just spam it and I would I would lose the fight over and over and over. I had to find a way to find, you know, kind of cheat my way through it. I found it one, one area where like the character just didn't know how to interact with a certain ability and I would just, you know, bypass that fight. But I fought him twice through the campaign and both times it was like the hardest fight I had to do. And as the game gets progressively further, it gets more difficult. And the last boss was a cakewalk. It was the easiest thing in the world. It was the easiest fight out of every single fight I did. I didn't even, I, I almost got a perfect on him. It was so on, on easy. I just high kicked him to death. I don't know why. Uh, the mechanics of the final boss are really boring. It's just like a ring of stones going in circles. And it 
did nothing. I don't know. I, I, I guess if you turn up the difficulty, it might do more, but it was the most uninteractive, boring fight of all the ones that I did. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the characters have pretty good punchlines every once in a while. They'll say, they'll talk shit to each other, you know, if they win or lose the fight. Kind of like Mortal Kombat afterwards, you just have like a one-liner that you throw at the other character. Some of them were good. A lot of them were just kind of whatever. Uh, the music was not notable for the game overall. The multiplayer I didn't get to do because I just don't have anybody that would be interested in playing uh, this <laughs> game because of where it's at. Uh, one of the other characters I played against, which is Blue Suede Goo, which was uh, basically Elvis. He was the biggest just pansy ever it, it was so ridiculous every time you get low he would just back into a corner and he had this mechanic where he would throw his hair out because Elvis, obviously uh he would throw out his hair like a i don't even know it looked like a comb almost when he would throw it out all the way and he would just sit in the corner and just spam it indefinitely and anytime you and then if you backed up from him he would use his ranged abilities the music notes he would just throw them at you repeatedly over and over and over until you would die and the, by the way, I forgot to mention this. When you block, it doesn't negate 100% of the damage taken. It only negates a, a percentage of it. And I think it's like maybe like 40 or 50% of it. So you're still taking damage even when you're blocking, which I don't oh, know wow. if that's... Is that normal in fighting games? Uh, I, I don't think it's unheard of, but no, I don't think... Typically you... Typically, you don't take any damage if you're blocking unless it's a special move. In in that t in that case, you'll usually take, they call it chip damage, where it's just a little bit. But on a basic attack, normally you don't. Okay. I wasn't sure. It was like, I don't know if it was special attacks or standard attacks that were going through blocks. But it felt like when I blocked, like, obviously, you took a lot less damage. But you still took quite a bit, which was pretty annoying. Yeah. So. That sucks. Um, Try to think what else. The level designs were okay. They were each character has their own level that is specific to them, so you, you kind of got to interact with that. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite character to play was probably oh, Bad Mr. Frosty was not fun to play for some reason. His kick had the shortest range of any character that I did that I played as. Um, Ichabod, Ichabod Clay was probably my favorite to play just because I don't know, it was just kind of cool. It's like a ghost with a pumpkin on his head. Yeah, he and his cool. high kick was really good. He does look cool. I think I used. I'm trying to remember. I think I there wasn't like you know, one person that I've played, you know, th this isn't like street fighter where you pick one guy and that's who you get good at. Um, this is yeah, they were all kind of the same for the most part. Yeah. Um, I think I used to play as the blob a lot. I played the blob quite a bit too. I really like playing the blob actually. Yeah. Maybe, um, was Taffy the like stretchy guy. Yep. Yeah. I think I played them a lot. I never maybe. played him, but I played against him a lot. Okay. But yeah, Icky yeah. by clay is cool looking. He, he was the coolest one, that I, I think, so far. I mean, bad Mr. Frosty was cool-looking to some extent, but he was not really fun to play, in my opinion. So, Okay. Um, I think that's kind of everything. It, it was a pretty fun game. It's Obviously, I'm not a huge fighting game person, so I'm not going to try to act like you know this is a great fighting game or it's a terrible fighting game, because I really can't speak to that aspect of it. But it was fun. I mean, it was fun for what it was. It definitely hit the nostalgia on the head. Uh, I definitely remembered some of the lines, especially the announcer's voice, uh, really came back as I was playing through this morning. Oh, really? Yeah cool so all right sweet well it sounds like i mean for what it is it held up fine yeah um but definitely it, definitely worth a revisit if you, if you if this is a nostalgic game for you definitely worth a revisit for sure sweet all right it's time to talk about our top 10 it's this this time of the year our top 10 games of 25 years ago uh so this is 1997 and we'll just go in the same order that we did just now also I'm still deciding on my last on the order of my very last two. I'm um, still struggling with mine overall, to be honest with you. But. <laughs> well, my my number ten 
My 10th favorite game of 1997 uh, is Grand Theft Auto 1. Cool. Really fun game. I know a lot of people, if you didn't grow up with them, obviously Grand Theft Auto 3 and everything that after, that came after that kind of took over, you know, GTA-wise. Um, the first two, which were 2D games, were actually still really fun. Um, maybe not fun to play all the way through. I remember getting really frustrated with, like, the maps in particular and not figure, not being able to figure out how to get to this place or that. But as far as doing the classic just, oh, I'm going to create carnage in Grand Theft Auto, steal cars, get chased by police, jump out and shoot up things. Um, it, it did all that. And I used to have a lot of fun with it. So, uh, yeah, that's my number 10. Oh. Uh, let's see. I have three, six, nine, ten. I have 11, 12. Okay. Let me chop this out and I'm going to chop this out. Okay. My number 10, and, and I'm going to be very, uh, a little bit different this time. So obviously there are certain games that everybody's going to anticipate they're going to be on my list, but I was trying to take it from a perspective of games that I truly connect with and games that I think are incredible, not necessarily games that, there are certain games that are on that list that if you look at it, you're like, that has to be on the list. And though it is games that I've played, it's not games that necessarily resonate with me as much as they do with other people. So I'm going to say that just as a caveat, because I think there's going to be certain things that aren't on my list that might be a little bit surprising. I'm not so. sure if I quite followed that, but that's okay. Just go ahead. Okay, cool. Well, if it comes up, you know why. Uh, <laughs> my number 10 is Intelligent Cube. Intelligent Cube is a game for PlayStation 1. It's a very simplistic game. I think I've even played it for the podcast. Um, it's a very enjoyable game. The the uh, narrator for the game is is very memorable. The overall gameplay of it, it's a puzzle type game where you basically are on a platform and you have to work your way through these different cubes by destroying them. There's mechanics that are involved in it. And if you don't do it right, the blocks roll over you and either squish you or push you off the edge and you lose. And then you get to start over again. And one of the most memorable lines from the narrator, if you die, he just goes again. And then the game starts over. And I always oh, really cool. enjoyed this game. It's, it's a really, it's a very unique game. It's very simple. It's probably something that could be played in the web browser today. But it is something. Oh, by the way, I never owned this game. I played this on a demo disc. So if you remember demo discs. So. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You've talked about this before. It sounds cool. I haven't gotten around to trying it out yet. It's pretty cool. It's a fun one. It's it's a good hour long. Like okay, this is pretty fun to play type deal. Okay, my number nine is NFL Blitz. This is of course wow that far back. Yeah, I think so. It's it's really good. Um, I don't you know it's my ninth favorite of the year. Um. It's, it's, you know, if you're not familiar with it, it is NBA Jam, but football. And uh, it's That's such a good way to describe it. It's really fun. It's, you know, just we used to I used to play this. I had some friends that came out, come over to my house after school all the time. And we used to play this every day, just about. And it's it's <laughs> it's just really fun, kind of crazy, arcadey style uh, football game. Cool. Right. Uh, my number nine is Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. This is a very kind of fucked up game. Uh, this is a game that I've played for the podcast, I think, as well. It's a puzzle-driven game where you're playing as a character trying to rescue your friends that are enslaved by these evil things. It's a puzzle-based game, but you don't have to save everybody. And if you don't, they generally die in a very vulgar way. Or not vulgar. They die in a very uh, graphic way. And the game is kind of brutal at times uh, overall, but this is a game that really resonates and sticks with me, or stuck with me since I was a child. I played this with a podcast, I think a couple years ago, and still found it to be pretty interesting and enjoyable. And the puzzles are interesting to some extent. They definitely get a little bit repetitive, but they have some pretty cool creative elements to them. It's kind of like, isn't it sort of like, I don't know if you've played this, but, um, ah, oh, geez, what's the, uh, another world and well, flashback. I don't where this. it's 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 2d 
and typically you'll be in an area and it's kind of like there's a there's a guard here and there's a like maybe a sentry turret here yep this sounds very similar dudes yeah and you got to figure out like you know where to go like you know time everything right jump down yep. here at the right time to it's, it's like you said it's like a puzzle it's a platformer but every kind of area is like a puzzle you're trying to figure out how to you know maybe free the guy and then get past the guards and stuff that's exactly right yep okay all right my number eight is blade runner this is a point and click pc game a point and click adventure game on pc and uh, i talked about this i played this about a year maybe a little bit more ago for the podcast and it is a very very faithful to the source material game it is you play it and with no doubt you're like yes this is a blade runner game they perfectly captured the blade runner universe the gameplay itself is not great there aren't even though it's a point and click adventure game there really aren't many puzzles it's just more of a matter of going around and talking to people and then advancing the story and then finding the next correct person to talk to there are a few little gameplay things here and there where you do have to do stuff to advance besides just talk to the right person, but most of it is just talking to the right person to get the game to advance. So gameplay wise, it's not great, but the story is good and the visuals are fantastic. And again, they, they, if if you like Blade Runner, they honestly, I can't emphasize enough how, how perfectly they captured the feeling of that world. Okay. Uh, My number eight, are we on eight? Yes. Eight. My number eight is Diddy Kong Racing for N64. One of the most frustrating games I've ever played, but still very enjoyable. Uh, Diddy Kong Racing is a really great game because you get to choose your character. There's three different types of uh, races in this game. There's boat, plane, and car. Um, It's a very fun kind of progression system, and you can go sort of in your own path. There's obviously like a a general structure to it, but based on when you get the different um, keys, if you will, to unlock different aspects of the game, you can open up different doors and progress through the game. It's a very fun game, but it is also very frustrating because the mechanics of the game weren't perfect. So if you hit a corner at the wrong time and your car came to a complete stop, that was the end of the race and you usually had to start over. And the races were, you know, at least a few minutes. Cool. I've only heard a little bit about this game. I didn't really know it was actually kind of good. It's fun. There's a lot of games where, like this Crash Team Racing, uh, which which is another game that's very similar to this. I'm sure there are some other ones too that uh, have a very similar idea. Okay. So. My number seven is Star Fox 64. Um, it's it's a really cool Star Fox game. Um, in my opinion, it's a little bit too easy. We talked about this not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, it's actually a very easy game, but surprisingly, it's yeah, 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 surprisingly easy. But it still has a lot going for it. It's got a cool setting. The gameplay is fun. The ships and all that are cool. You get different vehicles and all that kind of stuff. It does a lot right. It's it would be higher if it if there was actually a challenge to it. Like I feel like a kid could play this and really not have any trouble and maybe beat the whole game on like without you know having much difficulty. Uh, but it does a lot of stuff that's that's. It does a lot of stuff well, and overall, it's it is fun. Cool. Uh, my number seven is Grand Theft Auto One. Um, I played Grand Theft Auto One and Two quite a bit growing up. I played two more than one, but I really enjoyed these games. They're obviously a lot different than the newer iterations of it, but I always had a lot of fun with these. And my parents were never a fan of me playing either one of these games. <laughs> so, that's funny. They blame yeah. my brother for it. So that's okay. Well, that's cool. My number six is Street Fighter Three. Um, the kind of the, the definitive version of street fighter three, I think 
came out maybe in a later year, and that was Street Fighter Three Third Strike. But regardless, the 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 first version of Street the Street Fighter iterations are so ridiculous. Um, the way they have you know seven versions of two, five versions of three, and and, and so forth. But regardless, Street Fighter Three was the original one, and it came out this year. It was the original Street Fighter Three that is, and uh, it was it was a solid one. I mean, it was really good. I'm I'm honestly surprised that it doesn't get as much it doesn't get talked about as much as it does wait hold on did i say that right i'm su- i'm surprised it doesn't get talked about more than it does is what i mean there you go <laughs> because uh it's like really really good it's you know in my opinion nothing can beat street fighter 2 but this comes very very close and it and it does some it does some different things it does some cool things the art style is really really good like it is a fantastic game all around like there i I have nothing bad to say about it nope uh my number six is nfl blitz uh a lot of what you said Uh, the one thing for me is I, i a lot growing up a lot of people that i uh played games would love to play sports games. And I generally found sports games to be really boring with the exception of a few really, really good ones. NFL Blitz is one of those exceptions. It was such a fun game. It was ridiculous. And it just obviously had a lot of uh, special features to it. So NFL Blitz is one of those games that I spent quite a bit of time playing growing up. Awesome. My number five is GoldenEye. Um, You know, everybody knows about GoldenEye. I know you're not a big fan. Um, I know most people are a big fan. I also know that a lot of people don't feel like it it holds up very well today. But uh, I I honestly do think it holds up pretty well. But just just for all the reasons, it, I, the the single player campaign was really good. It was it was unique. It, it I won't go into all the different things that it did, but it, it it introduced a lot of concepts into first person shooters that we didn't have yet, but that are used widely now. Um, and then multiplayer was, was super fun. It was like throughout my life, this has been one of the best multiplayer experiences I've, I've played in a game. You know, if you have four friends hanging around, uh, particularly, you know, in in this time period playing, you know, on somebody's couch or whatever, it was like this, you, you couldn't beat this at the time. Uh, just overall, just really awesome game all around. My number five, no surprise here, is Theme Hospital. Theme Hospital, great bull, bullfrog game, one of my favorites from them for sure. Uh, growing up, this game was was very, it was it was a good challenge. You know, obviously as a kid, playing it as an adult, it's very easy because they you understand kind of the structure and requirements of it. But as a kid, it uh, was stimulating mentally to uh, to try and figure out how to have a successful hospital and to address the different issues, especially since I really didn't have a lot of experience in hospitals or the understanding of them. So. Theme hospital for me, and also the art style and the cartoon cartooniness and ridiculousness of it is also very enjoyable. And this game still kind of holds up, uh, to be honest with you. Last time I played it, it's still enjoyable. Obviously, you start to understand the mechanics or requirements to complete the levels, but it still is is an enjoyable experience overall. Nice. All right. Um, I'm sorry this isn't a little bit higher, but for me, my number four is Final Fantasy Tactics. Unbelievable. <laughs> Fantastic game. I do need to replay it because I don't know if you remember, this was a long time ago. Uh, when I did play it, I played it over such a long period of time that I couldn't even follow the story. <laughs> and really? I know you that's all that story. It's because I Damn. played it over the course of like a year. 
And so I just didn't remember. Anytime I launched it, I was like, what was happening? And so I just forgot everything. Anytime I picked it up, I had no memory of what had come before that point. So I, I only had to appreciate it for the battle system, which the battle system is fantastic also. But I feel like this game was like 50-50 what makes it good, right? Like half of it is the gameplay, half of it is the Stop story. Question. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I kind of missed out on that 50% of it. Um, maybe it would be a little higher if that was, if I had played it in a more responsible way. I do plan on replaying this maybe in the, sometime in the somewhat near future, but, um, still, I mean, my fourth favorite game of this year, it's, it's a fantastic game. The, the tactical combat is awesome. The job system is awesome. The, everything about it is great. Nope. I just don't have this, like, I'm just not absolutely bananas about it. Like, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. What's yours? My number four is Diablo. Uh, Diablo, obviously we're talking a lot of shit. Or, excuse me. I was talking a lot of shit about Immortals, but Diablo uh, is, is an incredible game. And when it first came out, it was so revolutionary. It was terrifying. It was difficult. It was so fun. The music, the graphics, the gameplay, it was just so addicting. Diablo, I spent a lot of time playing it. Never. I don't think I ever beat it as a child. Um, but I definitely enjoyed playing through and dying to the butcher, you know, 30 minutes in my game. Was the butcher in the first one? I don't even remember. Yeah. Oh, fresh meat. Yeah. Yeah. He's the first mini boss. I'm not mistaken. It's either him or the skeleton King. Um, you called it Diablo. You put, you put an S on immortal again. Yeah. I don't care. I'm going to do that. (laughs) Actually, you've done it. You, you, I, you haven't done it every time, but you did do it that time. I putting zero effort into it. So it's just a coin flip at that point. (laughs) My number three is Star Wars X-Wing vs. TIE Fighter. This is a uh, space combat simulator. These were all great. Um, I, I just loved the kind of the depth that was in them as far as all the different things you can do just, you know, in the cockpit as far as changing the way your 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 ship is performing, what, like changing what you have power routed to and all that kind of stuff, changing weapons, targeting things and the different, and like the variety of missions that you had. These games are fantastic. This one is, I remember it not being as good as X-Wing or TIE Fighter. TIE Fighters, generally everybody agrees TIE Fighter was the best one. Um, this one, I think, uh, was even not quite as good as, as Star Wars X-Wing as well, but still was very good. And it has like, there's a lot of good stuff about it. It just didn't quite reach the heights that X-Wing did or that TIE Fighter did again in my memory. Cause it's been a very long time since I played any of these, but amazing games still regardless. And so, uh, yeah, that's my number three. My number three is Dungeon Keeper. Uh, Dungeon Keeper, another bullfrog game. I've talked about this game, played it with the podcast many, many times. So, uh, just a really fun game. Still very enjoyable to go back and play both the first and second one, but the first one holds a very, very special place in my heart. Yeah, I knew that one was going to be on here for you. I, yeah. You're a big fan. All right, Jaden. Now I have to decide what order I'm going to put my last two. Woo! Well, I know what one of them is. Actually, I think I know what both of them are, to be honest. You probably do. I think... All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this decision now. For my number two... I'm going to go with the curse of monkey Island. Um, this is wow. the third monkey Island game. An amazing game. Um, they, they, they did some things differently in this one. It's, it's much more cartoony than the previous ones were. The, the first two were, were pixel art. This one is, is very cartoony. 
Um, but regardless, it they did a fan. This was also the first one that Ron Gilbert was not a part of, but they did a. They still did an awesome job with it. This is a lot of people's favorite Monkey Island game. It's not mine, um, but it. But that's just to kind of show you, like it held. It holds up extremely well to to the two that came before it. The humor is there. The story is pretty good. The puzzles are generally like very good as as far as they're they're challenging, but not just ridiculously impossible or obtuse or anything like that. Um, but I mean, and, th- and those are the things you look for: the story, the humor, and the puzzles in a Monkey Island game. And this has all of those once again. Um, it, they they did all of them very 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 well. Uh, it's 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 a great game. All right, number two. Um, my number two is Final Fantasy VII. Um, I don't don't think it's a surprise. Final Fantasy VII still an incredible game. Holds up still has a lot of re- replayability, especially if you've as I should say it has a lot of replayability. And if you've never played it before, it's still a very enjoyable experience. Um, so Final Fantasy VII, not going to go super far in depth. It's just an incredible game from start to finish. So, man, it it really is. Uh, that's my number one. I, I, again, I couldn't. It, it, the the way I had them written down, I had that as my number two, and Curse of Monkey Island as my number one because obviously I'm I'm a big Monkey Island fan. Sure. But as I thought about, it, I'm just like, man, Final Fantasy VII is just it's just on a different level from from other games. Uh, like everything about it is just so good. The story, the gameplay, the the combat, the 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 music, like what does this game not do good? You know, like, is there anything? I don't think there uh, is one thing that the story does get a little bit questionable towards the end. It gets a little bit over where they do that thing where they gets a little overcomplicated. That is my only That's real true. criticism of final fantasy seven. But other than that, I, I agree with you. I think it's an incredible game. I'm very excited for you to play nine and to yeah. compare it to seven. I am very excited to hear that. Cause I think that's going to be a very lengthy discussion. I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm really looking forward to it as well. I think one, one of the things that that really puts this in first for me is that I feel like this is a game, this is an RPG, which is, I think something, one way that you can tell that an RPG is great and not just really good is if after you've beaten it, you wouldn't mind just launching your save and playing around in the world for a little bit again. Or playing it again. That, that's or for me. playing through thing. the whole thing. Seriously. Yeah. There are certain games, like when I finished playing 10 this last time, I was like, I could just literally reboot and start again. There are a lot of games like that for me. When I finish, I'm just like, I could just start all over again right now. Yeah, I could do that and just have tons of fun just running around the world, just leveling my characters, just fighting bad guys. Because like everything about it is so enjoyable that even the little things like the bad guys are neat. The victory music is cool. Like it's fun just getting new gear and that kind of stuff in, in this one. They just did a really good job of balancing all that stuff and making every little thing about it interesting. Like you don't have to, yeah. there are a lot of really good RPGs where you're like, yeah, but it's, a, it's worth it, but it's a little bit grindy. Whereas this one, it's like, even if it was grindy, I wouldn't care because the combat's actually really pretty good. Um, man, it's just like, they just really nailed everything on this one. They did. I really enjoyed playing it. Uh, what's your number one? Yeah, what's my number one? <laughs> this is a question that doesn't need an answer. Nope. Uh, Final Fantasy Tactics is, without question, one of my favorite games of all time. Every time I play it, this is one of those games that when I finish playing it, the next question in my mind is, should I play it again right now? <laughs> without question. It is such an enjoyable game. Right level of difficulty, amazing story, amazing music. And what I love about this game is every time they have remade it, 
I have enjoyed playing the the new one that they've remade. I can't say that for all of them because I haven't played every single port of it or remake. But I think of uh, the PSP one. The PSP one was unbelievably enjoyable. It is probably my almost my it's close to my favorite version of it. The one downside. It doesn't have the good death screen. The good death, the death screen. screen is so important in Final Fantasy Tactics. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll ha- you have to play the game. You have to play <laughs> the original one to understand. There is a a death screen that characters make when they die, and the one from the original PlayStation One just resonates and gives you chill. It, gives, it legitimately gives me chills when when it's the, certain characters. There are certain characters that when they die, when you kill them specifically, uh, it is just so enjoyable to listen to their death cry without question. And there's a lot of reasoning for that story related, but they changed that in some of the, the remakes of it. And I don't know why, but it really took a, it knocked it down a couple notches for me. The, the death scream is so good that the version I played didn't have the good version of it. But I still thought it was awesome. And then I and then when I heard the one that you were talking about, I was like, whoa, it gets even better. It's so good. It's got such a good echo to it. It just yeah. It, it, I love that. It, I'm, obviously, I told you I'm playing Divinity right now. There are certain spells that you play them, they echo in the area. And it just it just adds another little like it's like spice on the top of it. And the death scream for tactics when we're talking about has this very deep reverberating echo. And I just I love it. It is such a unique thing. I couldn't believe it. Like if you said to me, you know, if they remade the game and they took that away, would you care? Like, I, I don't think it would matter that much. And then you hear it and you're like, holy shit, like, put it back. Just, <laughs> just don't touch it. Yeah, it so. is. It's, it's so funny how such a minor You would think it's minor, right? Yeah. Is, they, yeah but it's not. Yeah. Well, uh, this Good was list. a fun one. Yeah, these, these were fun. Um, Man, like, what, what a, a year. What a year. <laughs> That's exactly what, what I was about year. to say. Yeah. Think about the things we can put on here too. Castlevania Symphony of the Night was on here. Um there were a couple of ones that stuck out to me. I was like, damn, I can't believe these aren't on my list. Yeah, um Dark Forces uh, Star Wars Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. Um let's see, Mortal Kombat 4, Wayne Gretzky's 3D Yeah, there there were there are other good ones. I, I feel like this is one where Yes, there were a lot of good ones, but especially like the top two or three were just yeah. like tough out blow you out of the water good i agree it was nhl 98 was a pretty good one wasn't it nhl 98 i never played yeah. that okay i always thought that was a good one i don't obviously 94 was the one we always talk about but yeah okay okay well uh let's go to emails and then we'll wrap it up yep. first one is from steven let's see steven says 1997's forgotten gems how do y'all, could y'all stop Yarl s- saying Yale every Sherl? Other, I have no, I think, I have no idea, honestly, what the fuck Steven's trying to, I think he's having a stroke. Um, I think he's quoting something. <clears throat> I, I guess. Think. He goes on like that for a minute and then says, anyway, onto the meat of the email now that the tongue twister intro is out of the way with 1997 having lots of big hitters like Diablo, Goldeneye, and FF7. Sure, you've mentioned them. This was also the era of the demo disc. You were just talking about that. Hey, and the birth of many franchises. Hopefully, some first-hand experience of buying magazines just for demo discs will help spread some love to these hidden gems. Yep. Um, All right, he's got some here. Croc, Legend of the Gabos. Oh yeah. Croc was looking to be a Crash Mario and Sonic rival when his first game came out and then disappeared. A child-friendly tank controls platformer with a ton of character. Wahoo Bosch Kapow Kasplat 
will all be forever stuck in your head after an hour with this little guy. I never, I don't think I ever played Croc. I rented it a few times. I, I, I remember enjoying it, but I don't remember any of the specific details. Carmageddon. Mostly known for its controversy, it turned out a game rewarding you for running over pedestrians was uh, was getting hit pretty hard by the sensor bat. There's a, auto. <laughs> yeah, there's a few modern re-releases now uh, uncensored, but at the time, running Granny down was a big deal and led to a lot of debate on violence in games. Yeah, I kind of remember that. Uh, and it's coming back again right now. How, how topical. Is it coming back? Yeah, with all the, the mass shootings that are happening. They're, did you not hear about this? They're blaming video games again. Oh, They're blaming no. violence in video games for... Oh. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Redneck Rampage. How do y'all doom with a white trash hillbilly style played firmly tongue-in-cheek? It's like My Name is Earl on Ultraviolence. Quake 2 released the same year, so it's so it's the last of the big Doom Engine games. Doom 64 was 1987 too, I'm pretty sure. Oh, was it? Yeah. Fighting Force. Streets of Rage in 3D, one of the final side-scrolling beat-em-ups to get mainstream attention if you ignore Tekken Force Mode in Tekken 3, which was also pretty great. Frogger, he's back. It's Frogger with polygons, terrible camera, but an interesting look into the ways they tried to adapt classics into the new 3D world. Oddworld Abe's Odyssey, there you go. That's a classic. Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Never a big Turok person. I wasn't either. I didn't really like... I'm surprised. Yeah, no, I thought it would. I thought it looked amazing, but then when I played it, I was just like, "This game isn't fun." I hated those games. I, I, I've never like talked about that much because there's so much love for it. I've always been like, "Yeah, Truck's a great game." I <laughs> never really, I never got it. I never understood what the big hype was about it. Um, I think a lot. I could be wrong. I think a lot of people just the fact that it's like kind of that that it's dinosaurs. Yeah, I was gonna say dinosaur hunting, <laughs> which is honestly. You know, I can understand that. Like, I think that's cool, too. I just didn't like the game. Uh, so he's a solid FPS about shooting, respawning raptors in the fog. Got a decent remaster on Steam and some minor improvements, making a fun FPS. Cool Borders 2. While nerds oh, played yeah. Diablo, the cool kids broke their ankles, strapping themselves to skiing planks. Cool Borders was a big deal at the time, sitting up there with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. The series is simple fun based on popular fads of the era. I remember... I think I played. I think I played. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I played this, but I don't remember anything about it besides just like that. It was a snowboard. I played a few of them. Snowboarding game. Okay. Um, this year also had a lot of first releases for game series that grew to be huge. Dynasty Warriors, Postal, Armored Core, and the Dynasty Warriors was this year. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, I'm not a big Dynasty Warriors fan, though. Anyway, anyways. I started with the third one, so I don't think I would have played. I may have played this on a demo disc, too. I don't remember. He said, he mentions Marvel vs. Capcom, uh, Myth. Uh, what, a, which, what a year, man. Everybody, There's something for everybody. Yeah. RPG Maker was released for the first time. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> That's funny. I used to love the RPG Makers. No, I, didn't, I didn't play the, the older ones. I started with like the early 2000s ones, but I always really enjoyed messing around with them. I never, I never played any of those, but I, I'm, I'm, I don't know why because it definitely seems like something that I would have liked. Yeah, I would think so. Well, maybe this is in space. <laughs> there you go. He says, and depending on your definition of video game, this is the year the first Digimon Virtual Pet was released, one of the few surviving wow. monster raising franchises left today. P.S. 
Amiga and Commodore 64 can be emulated pretty easily. No need to miss out on gems like Flimbo's Quest buying dying hardware as big as a house. Retro Arch should do the job fine. All right, Stephen, thank you very much. Next one is from Mike. Mike says, Hello, CGP. I finally finished Metal Gear Solid 2. I played it on the PS Vita HD collection. And, uh, and and enjoyed it for the most part. As promised in my last email, here are my thoughts. All right. He says, the bad. Controls. Much like MGS1, it took me between one to two hours to figure out the controls. Even with new features such as first-person aiming and hanging, the controls are still the worst aspect of the game. I know this was the era of games expecting you to read the instruction manual, but none of it felt intuitive. I had to watch YouTube videos to get a grasp of the basics. I will say, I still have a hard time not shooting people in this game because it does the pressure-sensitive thing where you can you press square to, to pull up your gun on somebody, and then they'll typically, you know, if, if, if you caught them off guard, they'll, they'll put their hands up. And then you are supposed to lightly let go of it to not shoot them and just put your gun down. <laughs> or you can just, you know, push it hard and then quickly let go to shoot them. And that is not the best way to design the controls. I end up shooting people half the time when I don't mean to. He says, last third of the game, overall I did enjoy the story, but the last third of the game was cutscene after cutscene after cutscene with exposition overload. It seemed there was hardly any gameplay until it was time to fight a boss. I have heard it said this was the game that Kojima started embracing the bonker the bonkers nature of the series. I didn't mind that, but the last third really threw off the pacing from a storytelling and gameplay perspective. Yes, that is, I, I yes, that is true. Um, that is true, Mike, but for me, it's like, that's just what Metal Gear Solid is. He says the disappointing when compared to MGS one, the main character, I know this was controversial in 2001 to have Raiden take over as the main playable character. He grew on me as his backstory was revealed, but you can't top the iconic Solid Snake. The game would have been better if it lets you switch back and forth between the two, considering Snake still plays a large role in the star- in the story. I think I would agree with you on that one. Mike. Cool idea. The villains and bosses. This is another area in which MGS1 is so iconic. It's not a matter of the villains and boss fights not being as good as the first games. It's that they felt almost like an afterthought. The exception is the rollerblading Fat Man. His character and concept were both hilarious and awesome. Everyone else felt underwhelming. Fortune had potential, but she ends up fighting Snake off screen. Solidus and his final boss fight felt tacked on, and his relationship to Raiden did not feel as organic as the rivalry between Solid Snake and Liquid Snake in the first game. Pacing, as mentioned above, the game's pacing felt way off in the last third, whereas MGS1 was paced very well. The good? Graphics. The game looks fantastic considering it was released in 2001. Huge improvement from the first game. The opening mission was definitely the strongest area of the game. Everything from Snake's mullet to Otacon butchering quotes from ancient proverbs and classic literature made you feel like you were playing something special. My reference in the last email to the next stretches comes from the end of this game when you are sneaking around the Marines listening to a speech and the commander decides to give them a break by telling them to stretch their necks. Oh, actually, okay. Actually, remember that now. This changes their line of sight and you risk getting caught depending upon your spot, which happened to me a couple times. The final scene with the Metal Gear and the and encountering Ocelot, who may or may not be 
this is spoilers, who may or may not be possessed by liquid, signaled that this game was going to be wackier than the first. Story was not as well uh, executed as MGS1, but I still enjoyed it despite pacing issues. I could tell Kojima wanted to keep one-upping himself with all the ridiculous twists and turns. The following are what I saw as Kojima's hold my beer moments. The return of Ocelot. So there there are probably going to be some spoilers here for the next two or three minutes. The return of Ocelot, who also happens to be mind-controlled by Liquid Snake. I'm going to go through these a little bit quickly. Two, Snake appearing to die at the end of the opening mission, um, which causes you to play as Raiden. Three, the twisted soap opera that is the Emmerich family. <laughs> and four, the whole last third of the game. He's a spoiler alert. Solidus has been featured as the main bad guy and basically gives Raiden a I am your father speech. Not literal father. And then Ocelot comes along and says, no, everything that has happened was planned by me. And then you have the AI colonel give a long monologue about how whatever entity he is is a part of has actually been calling the shots and wants to control people through information manipulation and censorship. And then you hear dialogue after the credits between Snake and Otacon that the Patriots, who Ocelot claimed to be a part of, have been dead for over a hundred years. Never has a game's ending brought about more exhaustion. I think that sums it up actually very well, Mike. I remember finishing this game and just being like, after, you know, you have five twists on the same topic. You're just like, what the hell this just happened? I don't believe anything. This yeah, I don't yeah. believe anything. And I'm mentally tired now. <laughs> I'm waiting for the next one. <laughs> uh, he says he's looking forward to Metal Gear Solid 3, which many say is the best of the series. Uh, he says, much like the first game, MGS2 is greater than some, than the sum of its parts, but the ending is like drinking from a fire hydrant. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mike. I hope you like Metal yeah, Gear Solid. Great email. Great email. I uh, agree with the consensus that MGS3 is the best, so uh, I hope you like it as well. Jay, I'm going to have you read this one if that's all right. Sure. This one comes. I just so I might sound easily. Okay. This one comes from, hopefully, it'll. Damn it. It's doing the thing. Um. Splitty Booms. There we go. There we go. Who is this from, sir? Splitty Booms. He's a, he's a friend of mine, actually. Oh, cool. Thank you, Splitty, for uh, writing in. What'd you say? I told him thanks for writing in. Oh, cool. He says, yo, dudes, here's my list of 97 games that mean something to me, with most having an emotional aspect to them. I see that Tekken 3 came out in 98 on console, but 97 in arcade. Oh, well. So many good memories linked to these games. Number, uh, this first one on the list, Mario 64. Mario 64 was on here? I didn't even see it. I didn't see that either. This is probably one... I bet this is one of those situations where it came out... It was Uh, released in 96, but then it came out in the United States in 97 or something like that. Okay. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I would have necessarily put it on my list. But anyways, Mario 64, just one of my all-favorite time... Excuse me. All-time favorite games (laughs) to play. Hit the perfect mix of fun and difficulty. Look into you, baby penguin level. Will always have a special place for me as it was the game where I bonded with one of my cousins over the summer of 98 as we played the game nonstop yelling at each other our bad instructions on how to beat various sections of the game, but also trying to comfort each other when we died terribly. Flawless game, in my opinion. Uh, (laughs) I love this. I love them fighting about it, but then somebody dying and another one being like switching and being like, oh, no, it's all right, buddy. (laughs) We got to be supportive, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the next one is Goldeneye. Didn't play this until I went off to college in, uh, I guess, 2000? Uh, yeah, yes. Okay. 
where it was uh, second only to Smash Brothers, bringing in the entire wing of our dorm together to play four-player deathmatch. The pure fury some folks uh, would fall into was both hilarious and relatable. Guy named Rich played as Odd Job, and he was the most hated human on Earth. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> understandable. Yep. Um, I was the idiot who played as the guy with the big tall hat because I thought he looked cool. Oh, the hours. Uh, oh, the hours. Another one where bonds were made both out of camaraderie and pure hate. Uh, the next one is Gran Turismo. Would come home after school and do my homework as quick as possible so I could play this. My choice of vehicle from the starting selection was the Nissan Silva. Uh, and I legit came to love that car. I never sold it regardless of how much money I had or how far I progressed in the game. And I would drive it even when, I, when it was outclassed. I did the same thing. That's I fun. Was, I, took the I played the third one a lot, obviously. But... Uh, I know you know this, Robert, but I always bought the Miata as a starting car, and I would keep that indefinitely and, and change the color and do all the fun stuff to it. I love that. That's great. Um, he goes on to say, had an actual emotional attachment to the car. Don't know why. Uh, only racing game I was ever good at. The thrill of getting new licenses and cars was all I lived for a period of time. Dude, the licensing in Gran Turismo games are so difficult, especially if you're going for like the ANS ranks. Uh, the next one is Tekken 3, my first Tekken game, and I was immediately tossed Street Fighter, excuse me, and I immediately tossed Street Fighter to the side as my favorite fighting game. Such fluid movements to the characters in relation to the controller input felt so good to play. Um, so satisfying, I was blown away. Lei Wulong, is that how you say that? That's how I would say it. Uh, is forever my favorite fighting game character. I, don't know, I gotta look up which one uh, Lei Wulong is. This is okay. I don't recognize this guy. I was wondering if it was going to be the guy with like the very, very tall flat top. Oh was, yeah, or somebody. The, the, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know who Lei Wulong. I don't recognize Lei Wulong. He's he's he, he's not one of like the iconic ones, as far as I can tell. And then his last one is Mega Man Legends. Such a weird game playing as Mega Man in this odd behind-the-scenes camera angle with an RPG feel, but kind of not RPG. It was so long ago, so I don't really remember how it went. But I just remember it being a mix of this is janky, but also I wonder what will happen next. One of those games that feel like something that never really existed, uh, but was something I dreamt about or something. I don't know. Uh, thanks for making me think about these games. The memories that came along with them are all good. And I actually felt pretty nice after going down this particular memory lane. Awesome. Great list. Awesome. Thanks, Splitty. Next one is from uh, Jeffrey. He just got a just a boom, boom, boom list for us trying to get my top 10 games of 1997 in just under the wire. He says not as particularly strong gear, but beyond the top two that I absolutely love. Um, there are a couple N64 titles that everyone else loved way more than I did. He's got them listed one to 10. I'm going to go 10 to one. Number 10 blast core. I played this for the first time last month. I would have liked it a lot more as a kid. Number nine, Kirby's dreamland three, number eight, Goldeneye. number seven, Parappa the rapper. Number six, Oddworld Abe's Odyssey. Number five, Carmageddon. So many people, well, so many people, he and one other person said Carmageddon. I have this in GOG, and I I know I played it a little bit when it came out, but I really want to go back and like play, because I, I know what the game is uh, and like the concept and all that, but I don't remember anything about whether it was fun or not. I remember people talking about it a lot when it first came out, but I, I'm the same way. I don't remember much about it. Yeah. Number four is Diablo. Number three is Vandal Hearts. He says a short... I'm going to have to look into this. He says a short but decent grid-based tactical RPG. Ooh. 
Number two, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. There it is. He says that's also an all-time top ten for me. There and then number go. number one is Final Fantasy VII. He says no my tactics. I know, and he even has yes. another tactics. R- he has has a different tactics RPG. Imagine, on here. can you imagine? I can't. <laughs> uh, he says Final Fantasy VII is his second or third favorite game of all time. Dang! All right, thanks, Jeffrey. Last one is from Chase the Night Cleaner. Jay, I'm going to hand this one back off to you if that's cool. Of course, I'd appreciate. It. I always like to speak for Chase. Uh, Chase says, hello, gentlemen, Chase, the night cleaner here, just clicking away at another email. I'm about to say something that may run a shiver down Jay's spine, but I, I think I want a steam deck. Interesting. I was, Zach and I actually talk about this today. Funny enough. We were actually talking about it. Uh, about, and not because about I want to pl- like talking about maybe getting one or are you just talking yeah. about it. Hmm. Yeah. At some point there's certain things we're going to kind of talk about. I'll, I'll read through Chase's email and see if he hits on it. Uh, and not because I want to play contemporary uh, games, mobile but that will be a fun bonus. I want a Steam Deck because not only will I get access to a big chunk of my already sizable existing Steam library on a mobile device, but because it's a Linux-based machine with a desktop mode that you can also install emulators on and then assign said emulators as Steam apps and run them natively in the Steam OS. That's exactly what I was getting at. Uh, and because the Steam Deck will, will have a dock similar to the Switch with an HDMI output when the dock goes on sale later this year, you will also be able to plug this guy into a household display and do your thing on the couch. Yeah, this ex- emulations are getting more and more difficult right now. So, and I really like the idea of having the portability of it. This is me talking, by the way. This is why I was thinking about it. Okay. Uh, Chase goes on to say, the Steam Deck looks like it's going to be something you can tinker with and make into whatever you want it to be. And I enjoy the idea of that. As someone who isn't ready to play, who pay post-COVID prices for a new PC just yet, I feel like the Steam Deck is an affordable alternative. If I do get one, I'll keep you all up to date with what I am able to accomplish with it if you are interested. I would love to hear about it because it's something that I'm considering, not something I'm looking at buying this year, um, but something for the future. Uh, Chase goes on to say, that said, let's talk a bit about emulation. Major parties like Nintendo have cracked down hard on emulation scene in the past few years. Uh, which I have mixed feelings about because certainly there are people that just emulate games right now that can be purchased and played on contemporary software. And though I support the practice of emulating currently available games, if you are poor, I think that if you have the money and just choose to emulate anyways, that is kind of shitty. When I emulate, it is specifically for games or versions of games I can't play anywhere else. And I feel like this is a nuance. I feel like this is a nuance that major major publishers just don't get or want to understand because killing all pirated software is a net benefit for their bottom line. I feel like this point, publishers not really understanding what their audience actually likes, cough, cough, blizzard, thanks Chase, uh, is a topic in itself and maybe I just close the tangent off here. I regularly support official releases of retro remakes and anthology collections because I want to encourage developers to continue to respect their own history. And I love being able to just boot an old game. And I love natively in the OS uh, I'm already using on, uh, excuse me, in official hardware or on official hardware, rather, as it usually means less setup, headaches, or planning. All that said, the emulation scene is still alive and well with these communities accomplishing software feats for free that some major publishers and first parties can't even accomplish for themselves with paid development positions. Which brings me to the question of the day. What are your thoughts on emulation and when, why would you ever use it? Phew. I'll let you go first because I kind of read through all of that, Robert. If you want. Um, I, I don't, don't have a strong opinion 
really one way or the other. But I, I think I kind of feel not exactly the same, but kind of similar to how Chase does. For me, it's kind of a, there's a certain time period where I feel like it's there's nothing wrong with emulating this or that. Um, I don't know what that, I don't know how long of a time that is exactly, but if a game has been out for, let's just throw, you know, a little bit more of an extreme example, 30 years, I don't have any problem. I don't see why there would be any problem with emulating that, especially given how hard it is to, you know, find the hardware to play this kind of stuff. Um, uh, that that's, that's a big part of it because, a lot of this, not not only is it hard to find the stuff, but hardware fails over a certain amount of time. So, like, one of the genuinely really great things about emulation is that it is preserving video game history. Uh, there, there's, I mean, so that's an awesome thing, obviously. Uh, on the other extreme, if you're emulating something that a publisher, big or small, you know, I don't really draw a line there at all if they put it out this year <laughs> you're kind of an ass if you if you emulate that because how are how are publishers going to get how are publishers and developers going to be supported and how are they going to be able to continue putting out cool stuff if people don't if people play their stuff but don't but don't buy it so i mean i'm kind of making this easy for myself to answer by saying in this far extreme it's fine in this far extreme it's bad that is to say, somewhere in the middle, I feel like there's a cutoff where after a certain amount of time, I don't have a problem with it. Before a certain amount of time, I think maybe I do have a little bit of a problem with it. I don't know what that amount of time is. I, I haven't. It's not something that I've given that much thought to. But that's kind of generally my my feeling about it. Oh. Um, I, I'm very, I'm kind of somewhere, somewhere in the same ballpark as you guys. I mean, my, my biggest complaint right now is, is even the ones that are accessible right now, the publishers are getting ridiculous about it. I think of the most recent example, which is Majora's Mask, which, uh, is just so crazy to me. I mean, you have to have Nintendo, the Nintendo, uh, what does it call like their online subscription service, and you have to have their advanced one in order to emulate Majora's Mask, which it's, it's like, I think it's an additional $50 a year on top of your already subscription for it. Which is just, I don't know, that that to me, like, I, I appreciate the accessibility of it. And it's going to be much better than, than what you're going to play in emulation in a lot of places. Because obviously because of the functionality. But gosh, like the, the I don't want to say the money grubbing around it. But that's kind of how I feel about it. Like, I, I agree with you. If, if it is accessible, I will generally try to just get it to the publisher. Um, otherwise, if it's inaccessible or it's something that is too challenging to get, then I'll just um, end up emulating it myself. Yeah, that's another thing is is... So, and I, I didn't really address that. What if a developer or, or a publisher rather re-releases an old game? Then, then how does that change any? How does yeah. that change up the situation? <clears throat> For me personally, it doesn't really change much. Um, I don't think you have to be obligated to buy the newer release of an old game rather than emulate just because the publisher has put out a new version of it. Because for a couple reasons, one how for how long is this is this re-release going to be available in the case of sure. Nintendo Switch you can only get it through the online service eventually that's going to go away so that's not that doesn't really help the situation very much um in other cases 
Sometimes, like, and Square Enix seems to be especially bad about this. They'll re-release a game, but then, like, make little tweaks to it that just, like, are like, what the yeah. fuck did you do this? Like, they updated the graphics to make it look like a mobile game. It was like, why? Who wanted that? Who, Who asked for that? Yeah, exactly. Um, or, they, or they, like, they just do little things that it's like, well, this really isn't... I mean, yes, this is the same game, but you changed it and took away a lot of the charm and changed things about it. Like, I want the original game um there are some sometimes they do really cool stuff where maybe they'll and i think this happened with one of the disney classics collections or i forget what it's called um it was the one that i think has ducktales chippendale rescue rangers and two other games on it and it is the original games they didn't change those and on top of that on top of not changing it which is great they also added in stuff like concept art so it's kind of like us buying this you know the back in the day when people still bought dvds it's like buying the special edition of a dvd where not only do you get the movie but you get kind of like behind the scenes stuff and, and all that kind of stuff that's really really cool and i personally like to support that but yet again still at the same time that too that there's no guarantee that that's going to be available forever um whereas with emulation they're almost kind of it. There's, there's more of a guarantee on emulation than there is on anything else that is going to be preserved indefinitely. We've seen um, that over the last two two decades, right? Yeah. I, I mean, all seriousness. I mean, the accessibility that's been there. I remember when I first started discovering emulations in like the early 2000s, I could not believe how many people... I, I didn't think anybody else wanted to play old games, which is a really stupid thing to think, but it was so crazy when I started finding communities and I'm like, okay, I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's... Those are my thoughts. I, I think I, I probably spoke too long for how little I think about it. Um, but just off the top of my head to answer his question, that's that's how I feel. I guess fair. Chase goes on to say, and that's it for me, gentlemen. Thanks. Uh, as always, thanks for everything you do and for this wonderful little part of your podcast. Cheers and talk again soon. Chase and I cleaner. Thank you as always, Chase. Always nice to hear from you. Thank you very, very much, Chase. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for writing in. Jay, I think that's going to wrap it up. Unless there's any, unless there's any current gaming, I think I'm going to skip the current gaming subcast this time because we've been going on for a while. Is there anything you really want to talk about? I just want to tell you one thing. So right. real quick, and this is this is a good one. So I told you my brother and I have been playing Smite over the last couple of weeks. And if people don't know, Smite is a very janky MOBA game, MOBA style game. It's a little bit different than your traditional top down. I'm not going to go into the details of it. Uh, but I just want you to know there are some very they are they are definitely they have to be struggling. They are uh, doing deals where they're making skins for things that make no sense. So Smite is a uh, gods, like the mythology type stuff, you know, a lot of like Zeus and you think of, of all the different gods that exist within that, that um, I don't want to say universe, but that idea. Uh, there are skins for Stranger Things in the game, which are really bad. And here's my favorite <laughs> that one. That sounds so stupid. Because the Stranger, like, unless it's just the, is it the monsters or is it the characters? It's the characters. That's so, because they're just like normal nerdy. Just if, wait. If it was like Ninja Turtles or Power Rangers or something, I could see that. But they're, they're just people. Well, how about Transformers? They have Transformer skins. Does that help you? That does help. Yes. I okay. would buy a damn Transformer skin if it was a game that you, I played. Would you buy a Slipknot skin? <laughs> <laughs> would you buy many slip, Slipknot skins? They have oh, 10 or no. so different Slipknot skins. And here's the best part. They don't make any sense for the characters that they are assigned to. <laughs> uh, there are certain characters that have multiple Slipknot skins. Okay. And here's okay. the best part. The Slipknot skins don't have unique or interesting names to them. They're just named like Corey Taylor. That's just the name of the <laughs> Is skin. Is that like the band member's name or something? 
I guess he's the lead singer. I guess I, I'm not a Slipknot person, so I can't can't speak to that. But uh, uh, it, it's a really good laugh. We we Harry and I when we when we want to uh, communicate to each other that we want to play Smite, we don't even say, "Do you want to play Smite?" We just send a picture of a Slipknot skin to each other. That's that's how that's just how much of a meme it is at this point, and it's just it's so stupid. But I just thought you'd get a kick <laughs> of that. That's really bad. Like honestly, yes, that's hilariously bad. But the Stranger Things sounds even worse because it's not like cool looking it's things. So bad. It's so. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for the smite update. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. I, so. I do. Um, okay. Real quick. Our next episode is going to be game of the quarter. Already? Already. So that's twisted metal black. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, that is going to be uh, potentially on June 26th. That's, that's when it, that's, that's three weeks from now. So JF, your June twenty sixth is, is open. My, uh, I believe mine is. Then, then we will be on time. Yeah, and, that should be doable for me. Next weekend's the only one that's gonna be really tough for me. Okay, so, and I love the Sundays. By the way, Sundays are so much. I feel much more alive and engaged. Yeah, for the do, Sunday one. Same here. So, uh, so if you want to take part in our game of the quarter and play Twisted Metal Black and write in your thoughts, please feel free to do so. Just get just get the email in before the twenty sixth. It's uh, mail at classicgamingpodcast.com. Email us about that or just anything else that you want to. Uh, follow us at Class Gamescast on Twitter. I am at King Octavius. Leave us all some reviews on iTunes. Tell all your friends to listen to us. And uh, I think that's a wrap for this episode, Jay. Thank you as always. Yeah, you as well. And we'll see everybody in three weeks. Take care.